0: the number 1 financial destination yahoo finance.com oh,
1: What's good, internet? It's February fourteenth, twenty twenty-three, and you are listening to Waypoint Radio, episode five hundred and forty-two. I'm your host, Rob Zachney, and I'm joined by Ricardo Contreras. Um.
2: <laughs> I couldn't decide. We're doing a show today, Cato. I couldn't decide where to go because it's the fourteenth, right? And I this is actually this is the dilemma I always have for myself every February fourteenth. Like, do I just lean into like? Love do you. Is acknowledge in the air. The it's 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 Valentine's. Happy Valentine's to those who celebrate. Or if you don't, whatever. Or do I just like be like, it's my day. It's my day. I'm 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 the little I'm the little birthday.
1: Ah. You're a little birthday boy. <laughs> yeah. yeah. There, there are, there a, are the birthday little birthday MB. prints. Uh, so <laughs> the I so that is a more pointed. So it's literally the fourteenth for you. Yeah, the fourteenth mm.
2: is it's hell so to the try thing to get is, dinner. I would,
1: on I would my lean. First. I would lean into you. Like the thing is, February fourteenth isn't real. Like is it Valentine's right. Day. Like that's not. Like, Who like, who's that? And I, <laughs> well, and not just that. It's like uh you know, ain't nobody got time. Like they don't give you <laughs> special, like special time off for Valentine's no. Day. Right. Like, Real early on, like, my wife and I are busy. We got shit to do. Like, we would be stressed if it was like, we need Valentine's Day plans. No, we fucking don't. No. We do not need Valentine's Day plans. What we need is lack of plans. Mm -hmm. That's That's what we need.
3: I think I think that's the ideal Valentine's Day. Also, hi, I'm here. I like that even while Patrick isn't here, we couldn't we could not get to the introduction of a one Renata Price without beginning the fucking show. It
4: just happens. I'm, I'm very happy for
3: I'm very happy for Cotto's birthday. My 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 close good friend Cotto, oh, whose birthday I am genuinely thrilled about. I didn't know it was your birthday. I've gotta go jump into our Discord server and say a happy Cotto Day. Yeah. Uh, all that aside. Well, it's tomorrow. Oh, you know what? Thank you. It's the date that the, yeah. <laughs> when you're listening to this podcast, I will have jumped into a Discord server that Kato and I are in, and I will have said Happy Cotto Day. Um, yeah, I think the old, the ultimate Valentine's Day because the last Valentine's Day I celebrated, I didn't do shit. We made crepes.
2: That's great. I
3: my ex and I made crepes, and it was lovely. It was it was it was great, and that's all you need. I don't make a crepe tonight.
2: Yeah. If you have access to a nice pastry that you wouldn't normally get yourself get yourself a nice pastry. Right? Get yourself a treat.
1: <laughs> but also if that sounds hard, don't fucking don't bother. Do <laughs> yeah. 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 You know, sometimes you're just like, All I have energy for is ordering the overpriced delivery cookies that are like fine. Well yeah. They're kinda you know, they're they're mid tier. But, <laughs> you know, they will be here. The novelty is that they're them. delivered, and you didn't bake them. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's the that's the real key. Anyway, uh, gang, I was playing a bunch of games this weekend, and I wanted to pitch you on a on a spectrum in tactics and war games. Oh, Please. In my opinion, mm-hmm. tactics games are frequently reducible to being games about cover or games about concealment. Now, obviously, to a degree, mm-hmm. both these elements usually come into play, but at their heart. When you, think, when you think about like what is the decisive element in an encounter design or just a combat system, one is usually decisive, and I feel like the other ends up mostly adjusting outcomes on the hmm. margins. Do we think this is a real, like, classification? Do, do we think we could divide tactics games along, along these lines?
4: Hmm.
3: I, I want in my heart, Rob... I want to tell, you no. I want to I want to focus on the edge cases. I want to focus on the good shit. But let's be honest, we can't. The vast majority of the genre does do this thing that you are talking about, where it's either about cover or concealment. And that is it. Right. If we think about the most recent Fire Emblem game, there is a lot of fog of war in that game. That, that game, like the tactical decision making at some point is just like, damn, am I going to send in an unbalanced squad into an area that I cannot predict what is in there? Yes. Um, that is that is concealment. I mean, this is what? Yeah. It, whoa, where does Final Fantasy Tactics sit here? Because that's not a game that uses cover or concealment, really.
1: I don't know. I've been saving myself since I was a teenager for <laughs> the Waypoint 101. Uh, has, uh, yeah, that's stable. actually
3: a really good point. Damn. Um, Maybe one day we'll figure out whether or not, uh, where it fits, Kados, kind of you were saying.
2: Yeah, I mean, I'm trying to, so, like, a game like Triangle Strategy doesn't have a specified cover system, but you still take cover by putting things, like, right, like, you, like, cut line of sight, and that's kind of part of the way that you, like, deal with it. There's not really that much fog of war on those maps at all. They're pretty small, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So that... This one comes out as like an edge case for me. But like I was thinking in the opposite direction, you've got XCOM 2, which has both things, right? Mm-hmm. It, you start off in concealment, you know, you using that to get into good positions, and then yeah. afterwards it becomes a cover game once concealment's broken. Um So it feels it it, it does feel like it it isn't too it isn't necessarily two different kind of like genres almost of right. tactics games, but levers that you see tactics games pull on more or less often, I guess. Um, but I feel like they can be interchangeable, not interchangeable, but they can be mixed, right? Like they, they can blend in a, in a way that I think XCOM 2 did well. I mean, I I enjoyed the way that, that yeah. those, games, those matches played out usually.
3: <laughs> there, well, there's also the third kind, right? Like Phantom Brigade. Phantom <laughs> Brigade is is a real-time tactics game, mm. and in being so, is kind of always about everything, all of the time. You know, moving a mech behind a... To me, moving a mech behind a low hill or a high hill to block a handful of shots before popping out around the corner, firing off a few shots, and then running to a new position, that to me does not make it a game about cover, or wherein cover mm. is like the operative thing that the tactics are all built No, but around. I might
1: say in that, in that analogy, it's more uh, about concealment, right? It's about, it like, in, in the way it's like breaking, like, is, it, another way to think of it is like, is it a game about positioning or is it a game about line of sight?
4: Mm-hmm.
3: So the thing about Phantom Brigade is that like weapons have optimal ranges, but those optimal ranges are defined by projectile velocity as opposed to like where the weapon is most I mean it, where the weapon is most accurate because of projectile velocity and so it feels like it is operating in a different mode than the than most positionally oriented tactics games um but this just it stands out to me as a third edge case to this classification system
1: yeah and it could be that's what happens when you're where you're actually like squarely in the middle of the spectrum right like that yeah. that might actually be where like, the the two do, like, live real closely side by side. But I was, the thing that got me thinking about this was a little bit like, so I was playing more Knots this weekend, mm-hmm. um, you know, just sort of trying to put it to bed before I, you know, put it on ice before I revisit it probably, you know, later later this year. But, uh, like, it dawned on me as I was playing it that the big evolution that's happening as I was playing it was, like, suddenly I was popping smoke bombs everywhere Mm -hmm. like the minute it came time to like advance on across any open ground toward a building i couldn't get like line of sight into it was just like okay uh the the class of okay so the other thing i learned is that you do need scrubs in your squad because xenonauts is a like you were sending out uh nine soldier squads and I'm telling you, two or three of those people are mostly there to draw fire.
3: I remember our XCOM streams and yeah. the, in the in the waypoint, uh, in know, in person streams where you were like, this guy's a thrower. And I was like, they sure are a thrower, Rob. And then those people immediately got fucking obliterated.
4: Well, that's
1: it's like you're going to try to get close. And if you survive, you have some things you can do that don't require you being like brave or like shoot Accurate. good yeah exactly so like i realized i needed to spec out like a class of uh, a class of characters the people you're recruiting that are like oh you're just like you you don't shoot well you're reasonable you're not a coward but you're not very strong. you're just kind of, like kind of just the like a bottom quartile soldier really uh and that is when i'm like congratulations Uh, Your kit for this mission is a shotgun because it asks very little of you in case you end up in a position uh, where you need to use it. But trust me, I don't think that shotgun will be the difference between life or death for you and also like a bunch of different grenades. And what they do is they advance forward and if they get shot, I've gained information. And if they don't, usually their job is to like pop more smoke so that everyone else can advance behind it. And that becomes a huge part of the game really is the the sheer amount of times that like advancing across ground that you have not screened the line of sight that you have not cut the line of sight across Mm -hmm. uh, is the most dangerous thing you can do in that game. And cover doesn't like cover matters. It does matter, but it sure matters a lot more that you not be seen uh, and start taking (laughs) fire before you're ready.
3: So a question I have here. Yeah. Have you seen any of these just garbage ass shit men develop into some real motherfuckers? In terms of like, have you had a guy who is like, yeah, this guy's gonna be part of the, like the shit kicker squad? I'm gonna throw him in there. He's gonna run into and he's gonna get blown up. And he just keeps making it
1: out over and over again. Do you have one of those guys? Um so no, so I will say Xenonauts, at least the first crop of soldiers you get, they're all kind of like the bound is pretty middling, right? Like mm-hmm. the the bottom tier soldiers are still okay, uh, but I will say mortality overall has been such that nobody really emerged as a star. Like I had a sniper, that was st- and this is the type of game it is. I had a sniper that was becoming a star. They went on five missions and it amassed like eight, nine kills. Like they they basically... Sat on the ramp of the uh, helicopter and we're in like we're doing reaction fire as we cleared the cleared the ground. Because basically, once the fighting starts, uh, hostiles start converging on your position. And that sniper was just like picking dudes off right and left. (laughs) And she was like stone cold killer. And I was like, all right, we got our first rock star. And. She took a freak shot. Like it was like she was perfectly positioned, the engagement was going well. Uh like everything was like going by the numbers, but mm-hmm. a an, an alien from basically like across the map had line of sight on her. I looked at my like the sniper shot. Uh back at this target was only like 60%, uh you know, it wasn't it wasn't particularly good. Uh but It just didn't matter. Like the alien took one shot and she just like took it in the head and was done. And like, that's the kind of game it is where it's like this character emerged for like at the corner of the map, came out of a building, took a snapshot. And aced my my ace sniper.
4: Okay,
3: I have a question. Yeah. Does this feel like it's did that moment land for you in a way that was like oh shit that was that was narratively and mechanically interesting or were you like oh come the fuck on right. so the journey <laughs> i've been on
1: with xenonauts is the first i was like i just suck at this game and then i was like no this is a game where the mortality rate is just nuts like this is mm-hmm. like yep. the way to think of think of it is like you are not so xcom is about like super soldiers turning into superheroes right right the the you know that's that's kind of the model uh, Xenonauts is in the old school XCOM model, which is like basically you're exterminators.
4: Mm-hmm.
1: And you're just dealing with very dangerous pasts. And you're not special. you know, I mean, you went to exterminator school, you're trained, but like <laughs> there's nothing there's nothing special about your your characters, and that's why you have a lot of them. And like, it just goes that way sometimes. And so the weird thing is I think early on that would have pissed me off because like mm-hmm. she was a decisive like yep. factor in multiple battles where it was just like, if she had line of sight, it was like a halo effect on the other squad members. Aliens would be advancing. And before they could even get into position, like just boom, gone. But this time when that hit, you know, ask me, you asked me if it landed. Um, Narratively. I don't know, but the, the way the heart of my game plan was just ripped out. Like this was, yep. this was like, you know, two turns into the mission, and two turns into the mission, like the linchpin of the entire like tactical approach was just gone.
3: And, and like, how many turns of these missions generally? Like, are we are we talking about five turn missions, like five turn sweeps, or are we talking so like a twenty turn, turn abduction sweeps. mission
1: where you've got a time limited objective where there's uh, people being abducted, you got to run to little pods and like save the people right. in them. Uh, so it was a mission that forced you to move faster than usual. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, but even longer missions, I think probably i would say there's like 12 turns feels really really long Mm -hmm. um because again nine characters to move it's a lot of stuff to do every turn and the moves are granular but i kind of dug the fact and by the way that was just the start of things going wrong right like that Mm -hmm. like because she was down multiple other people now couldn't safely like she was knocking out aliens who would like cover ground so everyone else could advance we couldn't do that anymore so it turned into a popping a lot of smoke and just like slogging forward through buildings and suddenly there were just a lot more of those hits where it was like okay this person this person went down this person went down uh and the thing i liked about that was uh you know in a an XCOM mission you lose a you lose a sniper like that. You, you fucked up. One, you fucked up, and two, like if you can, maybe you should reload. Like that, that that just may not be viable. Mm-hmm. Here, I kind of like the feeling of, you know, like sometimes nine people go out and only three come back, and yeah. that's a win.
3: Can I ask another clarifying question? Yeah. Was your sniper in cover?
4: Because you no.
3: mentioned that you keep her on the deck of the ship. Okay. She was not in cover. No. This was a point of curiosity for me. Second point <laughs> of curiosity.
1: Does this game have deployable cover um, in it, the tech tree? That's a good question. I haven't gotten very far in the tech tree. The tech tree is very stingy. Mm. Uh, what you do have are shield, uh, shield carriers. So you have the people with the riot shield and the pistol uh, who can go forward, who can, uh, like, they're a little hardier. And, right. like, my assumption is people can sort of stack up behind them. Um, but the, the the other thing I would note, uh, Ren, is that the way line of sight all cover in between mm-hmm. you and a target affects the odds of a shot. So even if it looks like there's a clear lane, if there's a couple pieces of like just terrain between you and the right. target, each of those is going to like ding the two hit chance. Mm-hmm. And so um, long shots get really tough in this game because like there's usually something intervening
3: yeah this is what I was curious about was like if is there a world where if you had deployable cover and dropped that on the on the like ramp at the beginning of this mission, that sniper
1: survives this it is possible, but the thing is this like the nature of this game feels like the cover affects your odds of being hit mm. but like you can still just get a fatal hit right right right, um, right. and so like it you know i think she probably would have lived if there been if you know if she'd been like if there been some sort of breastwork that she was at mm-hmm. or something probably she lives but also like i've never seen an alien land a shot like this they just don't yeah. they uh. they just don't do it they're not lethal from that range it's like um you know it's like in uh hell let loose uh like kind of when you're playing that you know like there's the You get used to like, there's gunfire that is snapping overhead and you don't have to pay attention to it because it's just like, it strays from wherever the battle is, but it's not really like, you know, targeted. It's not, it's just noise. Mm. And then as you get closer, it's aimed fire and you got to worry about it. This was the equivalent of just one of those strays whipping overhead and just (laughs) kill somebody. Right.
3: So to to further expand on this, is this game tracking shots via percentage based and then modeling the shot as it moves through space? Or is it, like, do you know how these calculations are going? Because, again, I'm curious, like, if you might, had... Some,
1: it feels like the die roll, it, it does not feel like there's a ballistic trajectory being modeled. Mm-hmm. It feels, well, I, I take that back. Um, because a big part of this is that shots will tag cover instead of their target and the cover can be destroyed. So you you do have that, but what, what what the game spits out is just an overall calculation of like you got like a twenty five percent chance of hitting this guy in cover from this angle. Right. Uh, what it doesn't tell you is like the you know the likelihood the bullets going to be soaked up by something else. Right.
3: There's a twenty percent chance that the yeah. bullet's going to go in. Like of that other seventy five percent, here is where else it could go. Got it. That makes sense. Because I was trying to again figure out like in the riot shield situation. Right. Are we looking at if the riot shield guy is there, does he get hit with that shield? Right. Does he take that bullet? Yes. And and that this is the thing that I have been I'm I'm I find interesting about. This. Oh, yeah,
1: because you got to watch friendly fire in this, too. Um, there we go. So <laughs> if you have like squatties between you and the target, uh, you have to like be careful about like making sure that you're not like when, when you're firing down range, you gotta be making sure that like you're not trying to thread the needle between two people uh who are friendlies so so you're saying
3: you can't recreate arguably one of the best shots from mad max fury road where max gets down <laughs> on one knee and then furiosa mounts the fucking rifle on his shoulder oh no well you sort of and then can. takes the sniper shot because so like
1: that is delicious shield by guy the way. can drop into a crouch and the sniper can stand behind them Yes. And I think that will be a free like I think that's gonna be a free shot, uh. Like I think that's gonna be that that's gonna be clear. Mm-hmm. Um. But yeah, so like it was just it, it, like it was a clear case of um. And this is why I've realized like so much of this game is if you're posting up and be like yeah oh, we're all in good positions we should be you know we should just shoot it out that's gonna be a real bloodbath like just it, yeah. it will like cover's gonna get blown away like people are gonna just the odds eventually you're going to catch up with people. And so a huge part of like the way I'm learning to play this game is if you can prevent someone from even knowing where to fire, Mm -hmm. uh, that's going to be way better than being well positioned to take fire.
3: Okay. A question regarding that. Yeah. Do the enemies share information? So like if one enemy sees, so again, let's I, I like the sniper example a lot. If that guy sees you, right, and sees your sniper, do other aliens know as they're coming in from off screen that your sniper is there and an available target before they get there, right? Like, do they know that she is up for grabs and will then act in such a way that puts them in positions that let them shoot at her?
1: I think, like, I think broadly they do. The one thing I will say is I haven't seen... At this stage of the game, the most effective like coordination tactics like by mm-hmm. by the aliens, like it's a lot of run toward the fighting, get in cover and like yeah. blaze away, um, which is yeah. kind of the balance of the game, right? Like you're using a lot of tactics and like trying to skew the odds in your favor. The aliens are happy to shoot it out and just take the odds like shot by shot, right? Um, though they will. They won't come out. If there's like a firing squad like they will. There's some places they will just post up and be like, you're going to come in here and get me.
3: And if one person sees you through the smoke. Right. So the aliens, you, you drop smoke and one of the aliens sees you because you are in their line of sight. Do the other aliens start firing into the smoke now that they know where you are? I don't
1: think so. Okay. Um, usually, like the way the smoke, the way the smoke works on the player side, at least, is you're just going to see zero percent hit chances uh, for someone firing through like thick smoke. Uh, As it lifts, it might it might get easier to target through the smoke, but like you're not you're you're just not getting like a calculation that makes it worth firing the shot. Um, So it's not like there's in general uh, for like aimed weaponry. That's not going to be the play for AOE weaponry. Obviously, things are different.
3: So we're not doing the original predator scene of just spraying into the fucking woods, hoping you hit that son of a bitch.
1: Got it. No, though there are places, so you can uh so you can target terrain. So you can like do a attack the space and that where like that is useful, for instance, um you have a heavy you have a machine gunner, to bring it mm-hmm. to use the predator example, uh, who can can open her buildings um in in some cases. So like you're taking fire from an alien like through a window, right? And it's a corrugated tin building. <laughs> you could just like blow through that wall um okay. and i think you might be able to like get some shots landing like the alien might also just get some get some strays there as it happens but like what you can do is the uh like the heavy the gunner goes to full automatic mm-hmm. and just like mows down the cover and even if it doesn't kill the alien what you're going to get is well now there's a hell of a lot less cover and you know if there are other squad members nearby now what was an impossible shot through like a window has turned into basically a shooting gallery.
3: Are your soldiers as lethal as the aliens?
1: Can be. Um, Mm -hmm. it's like, it's one of those things where like shots are really swingy. Uh, sometimes Mm -hmm. you will like, like genuinely sometimes it is a game where one shot, one kill alien comes out, boom, like headshot immediately drops. And then there's times where you will tag them three, four times, and they are still they are still up. You just didn't like none of them were good hits, uh, and and so that's that's just the the luck of the draw. And, and the I would say the aliens are a little more lethal, like in general when they hit, mm-hmm. um, it's a pretty massive like hit tier to your overall hit point total, right? But um, like yeah like they the, the their their hit total is a little higher, but it feels like they miss a little bit more um it. It, it it feel it it feels like uh for them it's a little more of just a die roll
3: um my final question here, yeah. and we've we've kind of alluded to this so far, but like you mentioned that like you're not building narratives for your characters over the course of missions plural or like a, over the course of like a campaign, right, yeah. and so that means that it's all about like in terms of the game feeling satisfying. It all has to feel satisfying in a mission, right? You have to be able to have a cohesive feeling of like, damn, that was cool during a mission itself. Are you getting that? Are you getting that like this mission was was an interesting story?
1: Yeah, uh, I I am. I I like, you know, to the point we we talked when we brought it up last week, I think the the visual style of the game can look so plain that like Mm -hmm. it's just not there's no dramatic settings for a lot of these places, which is mm-hmm. kind of the bummer. They don't have a real sense of like, Ooh, this is a menacing place where this combat is, is occurring. It it all feels like, uh, light industrial settings, like one horse towns effectively. Um, and that's that, that, that doesn't do a lot for the vibe, but in terms of the, the sense of, um, not being able to really predict how an encounter is going to go and how like gnarly it can get mm-hmm. Uh that that is that is pretty satisfying Uh and and especially the way that like at least right now and I'm curious it would hold up for the whole game but it's easier to in part because the game conditions you that some of these soldiers are expendable. hmm it's easy to play through like really bad turns, really bad sequences and Mm -hmm. get to the other side, which is like, Oh, now I'm in a mission where things have really gone poorly, but this is now an interesting scenario. I'm in like, this is Mm -hmm. now, uh, all my go-to tactics are off the board. Uh, so now what do I do in this case? Uh, which is, which is cool. And something that like is, is tougher to get in a lot of like, uh, current XCOM games and the, the ilk of tactics games inspired. Mm -hmm. I lied. That wasn't my final question. You mentioned the (laughs)
3: tactic. You mentioned the, uh, uh, the tech tree is pretty stingy. Have you gotten anything so far that really changed the way that you play? Because like, that is, that is why I'm curious about is to like on a campaign level, is the strategies and like tactics you are using are they shifting over time in accordance with the tools that you are afforded and that the aliens are using,
1: right? I think so. Like it's um it's very it's very XCOM-y in this way where it's okay. like you're going to get good armor so that your guys can soak damage better. Um, and that's going to like change things uh for for sure.
3: But the XCOM problem is that like the enemies scale with you in terms of you getting that new armor and right, getting and those curious. new weapons. Right now
1: it's just like, it's right now it's kind of bigger dude, bigger gun. Um, <laughs> but we have not, I have not gotten to the like chrysalid equivalent where it's like, okay, this is going to, th- this can get uh, pretty wild if I don't, if I don't control the situation.
3: But yeah, because the thing I would be worried about is that like the version of this game where the tactics you are using minute one are still broadly working for you. Uh, in our you know 70 which like I think that if there is a weakness to the modern two XCOM games for me it's that right like for as much as XCOM 2 did to encourage you to use different tactics I do feel like that game once you found your shit you can just you can just apply your your stratagem to pretty much every encounter and it'll work uh, and I the think the thing that I'm because the game is not like able to shift in counter design and give enemies abilities that require you to do things differently. And I'm curious as, as to if this does.
1: So I think uh, and I don't know. I don't, I don't know what the, like what the game scales into. But the thing I will say is, um, you know, XCOM, so many of the abilities are. Like they're either can't miss or they're such a high percentage chance of hitting. But a lot of the abilities mm-hmm. are fundamentally like. If you do this thing, it will work. Now, it may not have, it may not like kill the enemy, it may not solve all your problems, but like the character will do the thing. You know, mm-hmm. you, you will trigger this ability and a predictable outcome will occur. And I think that is where it tends to like get a little rote, uh, just because you have like effectively a cooldown bar of abilities that you're sort of managing through a battle and you are increasingly reliant on those to navigate an encounter more than like the vagaries of see target, take a shot. Uh, in this kind of nothing is granted. Nothing, n- not like nothing is a, a sure thing right now. Maybe again, you'll get some technologies or, or abilities that, that do change that. But uh, I think the, the fundamental thing is that the decision that Xenonauts has made, and I think it's probably a little more in keeping with the original, the original XCOM uh, is that, you know and you know it's kind of what we came in on like at any moment it could just go all the way bad uh even though you didn't necessarily do anything wrong that could just happen uh and and that all that also means that there are times your go-to tactic will just not work right you know like even if you get the drop on the enemy and you have a you know good position uh you know you, you have a lot of high percentage chance to to hit in the the opening volley here it could turn out to be that you just whiff a lot but also you could end up in a situation where um the maps are big enough that like they're kind of hard to scout and so it mm-hmm. could be you just think you know where the where the fight's going to be and it just isn't mm-hmm. uh and so you've you've done everything right setting up for a fight but you also get like a real complication coming in from an angle you're not set up for. And I think that's where a lot of the a lot of the variety gets introduced is this notion that like, um, you know, in my in my case, it's like I rely pretty heavily on my sniper doing Overwatch and letting people fan out under her protective umbrella, and then, you know, we sort of take it from there. And then for this entire mission, I couldn't do that anymore. And it right. was like, okay, now what are we gonna do with all these other folks who are gonna like you know who've been reliant on the fact that the guys they're rushing will often be killed before they get there. Um, so that that was kind of cool. the The other game that put me in mind of it was um the other game I played for Steam Next Fest was a was an alpha uh for a game called Broken Arrow, um which is it feels a little bit like a mix of the Eugen uh real-time tactics games it's a, it's a cold war turns hot type game uh so it's like modern or like 1980 no there's there's an Osprey helicopter in it so it's like it's like modern uh military equipment and it's a bit like the Eugen games in terms of presentation and like there's a little bit of focus on realism but also there's a lot of um world in conflict in it which was a uh like tactics game by massive who have since made the division games uh but world in conflict was was really really cool uh and it's the whole mission structure was like you would take small groups of units out on missions and mm. it was kind of like do the most with the limited resources you have available like you know you call in reinforcements but they weren't bottomless and uh it was a little bit it, the game was a little bit stingy with them so it was a lot about like matching matching the right tools for the job and uh, it was a it was a it was a cool little demo it was um like game looks really good uh you know i, I the performance obviously it's an it's an alpha effectively it was it, it was pretty choppy but the thing that sort of jumped out at me was this is also a game where uh And I guess a little bit like you were alluding to with um, Phantom Brigade. Mm -hmm. There are a lot of different weapon systems that every type of unit tends to have that have wildly different effective ranges. Mm -hmm. Um, And so there are, you know, there's, there's the different, there's the question of like, when can a unit theoretically open fire? And then when it can, it like most effectively open fire uh, but the mission they give you is a is a pretty tough one where it's like you are leading a light reconnaissance force of uh marines on like a in like this baltic port against uh like russian or warsaw pact uh like uh missile batteries so you're like paving the way for an invasion but there are tanks around you just don't have tanks and mm-hmm. like they can hit you from a kilometer away a kilometer and a half away and you really can't there's a couple weapon systems that can do that there's like um guided missiles that can that can hit from from a similar sort of distance but it's like an urban environment with a ton of high-rises so the missiles can't really get the right trajectory from a lot of places to hit the (laughs) tanks whereas the tanks like will just fire straight down a road and just start demolishing your guys uh and so that was another case of for a while there i was I was trying to play it like okay, well, what are the I was thinking in terms of like matching tool for the job, as I sort of said, you know matching uh you know unit's weapon complement with the type of target we were encountering, et cetera, and it took me a minute to to really realize that like the name of this game is man do not be seen as much as possible. Just do not be seen. Cause if you can be seen, you're going to get hit. Right. And so like, as much as this game uh, has elements of like, it's cold war military equipment. Like the, the amount of firepower every single unit has, is just like ridiculous. This is also very much a game of like, okay, we need to like put down smoke. If we are going to do anything right. Like, uh, if you see if you see an enemy tank at the end of at the end of like a broad highway, you need to be cutting everyone into uh, like the housing projects and right. just trying to like micro your units that try to keep those huge housing blocks between you and you and the enemy, because like the minute they can roll into a line of sight, a clear line of sight, you're just you're just hosed, which got pretty interesting.
3: So I guess my question here is that, like, I'm watching a trailer for this on the Steam page. Yeah, The battle I am seeing is pretty massive in terms of like the amount of units that are being controlled at which point it is it is looking more like a rts like a traditional yeah. rts as opposed to a real-time tactics game uh and so i am wondering do you think this game is able to operate at that scale and still be enjoyable or do you think it is it is really tuned for this smaller scale combat
1: i am so rent i went through a similar like i had seen the trailers
4: Mm
3: -hmm. And it
1: really did look like it's an RTS, like, get in their faces, like, fuck them up with a lot of, like, high explosives and shit. It'll be fun. I was really surprised by how tactically fussy the demo was, Hmm. like, how much of it was, like, hey, make sure your guys, like, don't, like, for instance, you can activate or deactivate weapon systems. So you can be like, hey, Marines, like, don't even shoot your guns. I do not want you shooting your guns. I want you to only use your missiles. Uh I only want you to be looking for targets for your missiles. I don't want you wasting time with anything that's like a soft target. Uh so you'll 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 have guys set up to all like basically target prioritize that way. Um but obviously like your best weapons are also like ammo limited. Uh so that's a, that's another wrinkle that you got to you got to live with. But I don't know. Like I kind of I kind of wonder that too because like the demo The demo is like house to house, like building to building fighting like it is so touchy Mm -hmm. about like where troops are positioned, like what like what is their line of movement? This is not a like the the minute you're like, I'm going to band select and send everyone forward to like where I want everyone to rally and we'll Mm -hmm. we'll distribute from there. No, everyone's going to die if you do that.
3: Yeah, because I'm watching this, I'm watching this trailer and like I've seen like airstrikes from planes and that feels impossible to like micromanage tactics your way around. Like there's just I'm watching like bombers do strafing runs and wondering like how tact if this is a tactics game how what is what is the answer to that like how are you supposed and the, the answer might be oh have a anti-missile uh, have an anti you know air unit fire a missile at the at the like bomber coming in right but at a certain point i, I assume that the cognitive load has to just get un-
1: unbelievable so the the eugen games strike this balance okay but they're not as lethal in that way. Like, and, and one, they also give you a lot of units. Like you kind of get to a place where it's like, I'm going to accept guys just getting hammered by long range fire. And Mm -hmm. I've got a lot of dudes. It's that's just the nature of the piece. Like they're similar, but it's, it, it it isn't quite as, uh, you know, all or nothing as broken arrow feels. I, I, I kind of wonder about this too. And I, like the first thing I would say is it is possible. Those, uh, the things they are showcasing make for great screenshots and are not the game that people will end up playing, which is my actual like the vibe I got playing the demo is uh, the screenshots are all like wildly kinetic, huge battles, etc. And then the and this was like a taste of what the campaign at least will be is much more like a series of little puzzles uh, across a mission that you're gonna have to solve using. Whatever resources they let you requisition uh, to the battle. So it's like there's tons of units in the game, but on a given mission, this is the way this one works. um, Once you knock out like the anti air defenses, for instance, you get what unlocks is you can get helicopters in, but you can't get tanks in like the whole idea is you're laying the groundwork for big invasion. So all you can bring in is like, what would a commando force have access to on a mission like this? And so that's where that gets uh, a little bit tricky. The way World in Conflict solved this problem uh, was it's, it was actually sort of a stealth MOBA. Uh, <laughs> the way they did huge battles was that in multiplayer, uh, and the battles would be huge, but every player on a team would like specialize. So it was like I'm going to be the air player, which meant you were basically like controlling. Helicopter units and and such and microing those. you have a player as the armor player driving tanks around. Uh right. you had the infantry guy like setting up in like towns and cities. And then you had like a support uh player who was like doing artillery and like anti-air. And it was it was fungible. Like, the, the differences weren't entirely like it's not like you had nothing you could do uh in those mm-hmm. other in those other uh fields based on like what class you were playing, but overall what they did was they divided the cognitive load. It was right. like if you're the tank guy. You're controlling the tanks, and that's gonna be the big part of the battle you are concerned with. And you're gonna hope that like the helicopters are being microed microed effectively on your side.
3: Mm-hmm. Um this game is set. I'm I'm looking at this, I assume 1980s? 1990s?
1: So the like thing it- is like there there were it's got I think it might be modern day or something okay. close mm. to it. Cause it's like there are Osprey helicopters, <laughs> which is kind of a fairly new um Like, system. Uh, I'm looking at like F, those look like F 35s to me. Um, Yeah, I was
3: thinking that like these seem, this seems modern, modern, but the problem is that like, the thing that I was curious about is the fact that like, this isn't, this isn't how conflict works anymore, though, right? Like, large, like large scale battles like this, like the ones that are being depicted here don't really happen anymore. No, well, like my understanding of like modern military tactics is yeah. built around of like what is happening currently is that like it is mostly um long-range strikes uh and like legitimately small squads. Like like small deployments. You are not getting the like we're going to take two armies and then smash them together in this big city and see what happens, right? You might get a siege against a city, but that city is not going to have its own tanks and helicopters fighting back.
1: So there's like, there, there's things that, um, for, for, for one thing, like, um, the weird thing is when you zoom all the way out on this battlefield, like the inventory are so small on it. Like you can imagine, uh, the phenomenon is called like the empty battlefield. Uh, it's been increasingly mm-hmm. talked about since like, World War II, I think, is where it started to really come up, but maybe it was also World War One, but it was when um people would start noticing soldiers would report with increasing frequency having been like heavily engaged in major battles, and they would report having never seen an enemy soldier. And having not seen many of their own soldiers either. Like you'd have right. people coming out of like huge engagements. And for them, the experiences was like them and a handful of people, um, in the middle of, like, a huge conflagration. But, like, they didn't, they had no real awareness of, like, what the battle looked like to them because to them it was, like, the battlefield was empty. Right. And it's also, like, this is the problem of, like, the
3: current hyper-lethality of military weaponry is such that, like, if you do see someone, you obliterate them instantaneously. And so, that, like, for me is is why I'm I'm really curious about this.
1: Yeah, and, like, to a degree, this is still, this is still very much, like, I think inspired by what the fantasy of like the cold war combat might look like right but mm. the other thing is uh you know I, I would say like uh and you know if 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 Gaunt were here you could probably shed more light on this but uh it's been weird the degree to which like the war in ukraine for instance which has been um like in terms of the weapon systems involved has been the closest to this type of warfare that anyone has, has ever seen. Um, it is striking the degree to which you do see some old school tactics starting to come back to the fore. Mm-hmm. And from what I gather, part of it is um, eventually you run out of the hyper lethal stuff. Um, mm-hmm. Like it, it just isn't there uh, anymore on the battlefield. And that's when people close in, but like, there's the whole thing of like, Ukraine needs tanks um, and there have been a lot of people like Galt did write an article about this. People have been proclaiming for ages that like the day of the tank is over. that The tank is not an effective weapon right. anymore and really hasn't been since um, like uh, Israel's invasion of southern Lebanon back in like 2006. And like the Merkava was just getting um, th- that's their main battle tank uh, was, was just getting demolished uh right and left by guided by guided missiles so the idea was like tanks really they're big targets they're easy to hit uh and mm. it's harder to harden a tank against those weapons uh, than it is to procure those weapons but it has emerged you know in in Ukraine for instance that um fundamentally for for like covering contested ground the tank still has a role, right like right. there's still nothing better uh for that mission than like huge slabs of armor bristling with weaponry just like charging forward and like covering the area um mm-hmm. so that's like in terms of you know obviously the 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 fan- the fantasy here is that everyone has like infinite access to like high end weaponry mm-hmm. um with the with the caveat that like the ammo runs out and it runs out fast like that's that was the other thing that caught me off guard here. Mm. Uh is that like you bring out those like high end anti tank units, they have six missiles. They might take three to kill a single tank at long range.
3: Right.
1: And once those missiles are gone, uh that's it. They're 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 done. They're they're basically riflemen with heavy gear. Uh so like that's that's over. So now you need to think of a different solution to that. Um, which is like where you start getting pushed into using trickier tactics and and like using less sophisticated weapons. And I think that's that's emerged a bit uh you know in this um, you know really miserable horrible war in in Ukraine, uh where as happens with every war, everyone radically underestimates the rate at which the best weaponry and munitions will be consumed. Right. Like just nobody, everyone always thinks like combat will use up this amount of resources, and it always turns out being wildly in excess of that.
3: Yeah, I mean, even on like a like infantry level, this is the case, right? Like you can only give a soldier so many magazines. Yep. And once those are spent, that guy's that guy's out of the roster <laughs> uh, for that particular engagement. And so if you're looking at you know giving a soldier like two, three magazines you know, or yeah, however many that you're going to take into a, a combat and like an, an, an engagement, right? That guns shoot really fast. They do. Modern firearms shoot really fast. And if you go anywhere above like a three shot burst, you're going to be burning through that like pretty much instantaneously.
1: Yeah. like I think, uh, yeah, if th- Something like, you know, 30 round magazine full automatic is depleted within like a couple seconds of holding down the trigger um and you just can't as you said you just can't burden people with that many magazines uh and so you know that's and yes like i think a lot of assumptions are baked in that like the the weapon will hit the thing will do its job yep. and the thing that you can't like the the thing that is tough to control for is like what people will realize really fast is like shooting a lot at other people may not kill them but it will at least make it harder for them to shoot back and kill you and so like everyone just ends up being in a uh see the target let them have it um you know type of uh you know type of mode so uh i I think like i am so curious where broken arrow is going to go with like its structure for this for this type of stuff but Mm -hmm. I was shocked at how challenging it was. Like it was a real. The way I put it is like the Eugene games, which are uh, RTSs are real time tactics games that, that I really, really do like quite a bit. But there is an element of it's a military sandbox. And it's like, here's a cool toy chest and all the you've got a lot of a lot of them and they all kind of do their job. This is much more, I think, like to your point, Rand, it's much more about like. No, you need to think about, like, how much ammunition do these guys really have? Like, how many shots is this guy going to get? How many tanks can they actually account for in this? Uh, and what can you do to, like, sort of maximize their their efficacy? Mm-hmm. Uh, and I was, I was really taken aback by how punishing it was uh, to, like, for any sorts of misjudgments. How, oh, one last note, though. It does seem like it has a ballistics modeling system, and it seems buggy as hell. <laughs> oh no. Because Ren, it, um, when I called in helicopters, their main tank busting weapon is supposed to be a Hellfire missile.
3: Right.
1: And that's one they can fire from, it's at standoff ranges, right? You know, it's, you're out of the range of small arms, they can, they can fire from a long yeah. way. They were reliably overshooting, like by about oh. 50 meters. And I just watched as this thing emptied its, its racks of Hellfire missiles trying to hit a tank. And it kept missing to the same place. Like it, like the tank wasn't moving. The chopper wasn't missing. Right. The missile kept overshooting by the exact same amount. Hmm. And I was like, this is an alpha. But what that told me is that it's not, again, rolling a dice and right. like generating an animation to cover the result of the attack. It's tracking that missile. And because that tracking was off, I think you had this unit that was really key to my whole plan right uh just completely eat shit uh which was kind of cool because like when it does work i'd see that being really neat but in the moment i was like i'm really mad and i think i'm done with this game for now (laughs) but got it uh but yeah that was that was my that was my weekend of like games that are all about like if they can see you they're gonna fuck you up so best not be seen (laughs) um in terms of games y'all have been playing, because uh, I know we we you know we we were all delving deeply uh, in uh in in uh next fast. Um let's see. Uh Ram, let's start with you. Um well actually no, because you were that's not Next Fast. Wild Hearts is not Next Fast that you just been playing. No. That. No, outside of <laughs> You've been in that Next Fast. Yeah. Yeah. I checked out a couple of demos.
2: Um one specifically that I was interested in uh shouting out which I got to just over the weekend and not from our like next Fest um, stream was shadows of doubt. Um, which is a really interesting, um, investigation game that is, I believe procedurally generated. Um, and has a, has an interesting, uh, it's kind of a, are these Minecraft, voxels? Minecraft with all of yes, the it is. all of the voxels wrap. Um, yeah, yeah. It's uh, Minecraft with all of the special shaders on. You know, If you ever yeah, seen? Dude, it's like, it, yeah, it's like
1: yeah, it's <laughs> like chunky little like voxel models, but then the lighting is the same thing as in Minecraft. Yeah, where, where it's like, turned on the RTX the game and... looks
4: this way. <laughs> yeah,
1: yes, exactly.
2: Um, but uh, it's it's really interesting for. Both a couple reasons first of all obviously like it, the I'm curious how the procedural generation uh makes for interesting stuff i only played through like they have like a tutorial one which i think isn't technically procedurally generated just because they want you to hit certain beats but uh, they're like can
3: we get a can we get a high level view of what the actual game is yeah. i don't think we've we've gotten what the what the thing you're doing is
2: right you're um investigating and so what you end up doing is you you look at there's like so many interactable items in the world and when you look at an item in the world you can then pin it to a like board that you have in your in your mind right um which you can then string you know the classic red string whatever you can color these strings whatever color you want actually uh um, to tie together different like Associations you might have for like,
1: but I if you don't cover this, your wall in red strings, then how will people know you've just gone too deep on the right? Face, right. That this that's the red
2: again. strings, and the game and We're, the game actually ought, will auto generate some of these connections for you when it's mm-hmm. like we 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 um we think you should have this one basically, but there's there's a lot of space for free association of things that may or may not be associated at all, um. The way that you're like going about, or at least in the in the tutorial one, the way that it's kind of set up is that you're like you're not part of the cops. You have like access to things, but you're breaking and entering as part of the game. You're private on <laughs> like, Yeah.
1: So, um, do you did you get a sense for um, you mentioned that there's there's some proc gen happening, but I'm I'm yeah. curious, like, is it like um. You're a private eye, and so it's kind of like, do you get a sense, like, there's a main narrative case you're working? Or is it, like, people are going to be bringing cases to you, and you're going to go on a little, like, adventure to do your private eye shit in this city?
2: Um, At least for this first one, it felt like there was, there's a little bit of a narrative setup of just, like, you're, you're, like, waking up alone in your apartment, and, like, the character makes a mention of... Of of a significant other that's no longer with them, and so there might be that thread might continue to pull through. I didn't see a lot, a ton of it after leaving the 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 my character's apartment, but I I presume that is what that's setting up for the for the larger game. Um, but the the, the first mission, the first like case that you get is very vague. You get a note slipped under your door that uh has just like go find name right and then what you do to be able to go find
1: yeah <laughs> so uh, sorry, i just i yeah. just i just share a cotto. there is a picture of a crime scene uh with two blood splatters from a, like exit wounds on a door that's swung open and yeah. a person lying dead on the floor of their office like legs akimbo mm-hmm. and it's like a voxel crime scene photo yes but yes. it is like those old-timey crime scene photos that you see from like you know the LAPD in the 40s or something where right. like they're all just like artfully co- weirdly artfully composed yeah uh like uh they stark, have to, like, get uh, all of the photos. blood so there's
2: also blood spiders on the wall
1: inside that room yeah, like they need in. to illustrate they need to tell the story yes. of like the theory of the crime right the the blood spatter on the far door uh <laughs> this is so this is such a wild yeah uh it's
2: it's great. It looks really it like it has a look that I I'm, I'm really enjoying. But yeah, you, you you so you get this like go find it was like Carmine or something. And then what you do is you walk over to your desk and there's a there's just like like a white pages, basically. You look that person up in the white pages, that's how you find their address, you go over to the address, you know, on foot. You have to like figure out a way into the apartment. You have either lockpicks there's also like you could find vent access it's all um, it's immersive simi in that way almost like how i'm like it's like i, I would say on it's, the it's edge. fully i don't
3: think you have to say it's on the edge <laughs> no. this is this is the kind of game where you are like so i also played this demo um when i go to this apartment yeah right the way that i get the the first apartment they they give you a pretty explicit way of how to get right. in like hey here's here's ways you can get in but before i get in i'm, I'm really curious to see uh, if this was the case for Cotto. I get into this apartment, but before I go in, I see there's a, there's a security box on the wall. Uh, and I yeah. open up the security box, and I turn off the cameras, and then I see another thing, which is the security gate. I did see this. And I look this. at that.
2: I don't think I even and I'm like, the box.
3: <laughs> and I'm like, wait, you didn't see the security. That is explicitly <laughs> tutorialized? No way. That, that's, it, that, there's, that, a, there's
2: a that, few. That box is explicitly. Explicitly tutorialized
3: we know how Kado feels Kado. About
2: I've had some f- uh, that no. is.
3: I
1: will. I will. <laughs> I will a, get a twi- your ass. Kado, there's a Twitch clip about this.
3: <laughs> there. There. It is explicitly tutorialized that you could go to one of these boxes and and look at all the cameras, lights, and security doors on the floor from these terminals.
2: I have. I've. I've gotten some weird. I mean. I think my game might be a little glitchy because I've gotten some weird things where I'm like in a menu and then a tutorial pops up about something in the world that i can't see because i'm in a menu um it may have been something like that where i like had to close out to go look at the thing and then forgot about it Mm -hmm. but i don't remember seeing this thing because i I, so the thing that
3: i did mm -hmm. was i closed the gate and it brings this big metal grate down and blocks off this entire floor People cannot oh access God. the third floor of this building. And so I'm like, I'm going to hit this beforehand. So when the cops come, I have oh, extra amazing. time. Yeah.
2: No, that's amazing. That would have been so, so was,
3: useful. <laughs> I'm, I'm really curious. Like, how much time did you? So you're investigating this apartment, right? Yeah. And eventually you get a notification. There's like a silent alarm has been tripped. The police
2: are on their way. Yeah. How long did you have? Once the silent alarm was tripped, like yeah. 10 seconds. Okay, like they I were had there. like thirty. I had I
3: had a I had a while because I was like, I think that that gate
2: is slowing them is, down. Is, yeah, he's gonna slow them yeah, down, yeah. and so
3: I took an extra second and I was like, That's all amazing. right, and then I climbed out through the escape route that I had planned because the game was like. Hey, you're gonna want to plan an escape route before you come in here. Right. If you are going into an apartment in this game, the game is like the first thing you gotta do is, g- is get, make a get yeah. the fuck out of here. Find the vents.
2: Find find which window you could possibly get out of. Mine was a right. vent in the bathroom. Yes. Um Same. but I had like the 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 alarm tripping notification came up and like two seconds later they were knocking on the door and three seconds and five seconds later they had busted in the door. Okay. <laughs> so I, I, I For me, ran, much I ran longer. to that vent.
3: <laughs> and so this is the, this is the kind of thing that like, yeah. I think is really yeah. unique about this game. Like really yes. interesting is that like, it is a true immersive sim in the way that like systems are interacting with one another. Right. And it, it's also worth saying that like each world you are in each, each playthrough, it's not like you're generating a case. A single case. You are generating a city. Uh, and that city has between 300 and 400 people in it. And those three to 400 people go about their days. Yeah, Those are people with routines. Those are people with jobs. And so it, when you're investigating this case, you can pick what you are interested in and try and check it out. So the, what, what happened to me <laughs> is, is I'm investigating this case and I find... That this dude knows someone named Bianca and has a uh, receipt that was like, hey, meet me later, B. It says on this receipt, who
2: is B? That was my next lead,
3: yeah. (laughs) The game was like, here is the locations you can go to. We recommend this location or this location for good starting places for this case. But then I, Renata, was like, (laughs) I gotta know who B is. And so I go over to his address book. And I flip through the address book and I see a woman named Bianca. And I was like, there's Bianca. There's her phone number. There's her address. And then I go and I'm like, I'm going to call her. I walk to my place. I call her. I do not notice that it's just three in the fucking morning.
4: Oh, <laughs> cool. <laughs>
3: and so no one picks up. Uh-huh. And so I'm sitting there and being like, well. I guess I should go to the apartment and go check. out. Go, go, go check shit out, because if she's not there. She's not answering the phone, then I'll go take a look at things. Right. <laughs> so I go.
4: Right.
3: <laughs> go to this apartment. The game gave me better options, but I was like, no, I gotta get the I gotta get the wacky one. And so I go. And it's 3 a.m. And I and I sneak I break into this apartment. Uh, and then I'm like scoping shit out. I I turn on the lights, I make sure that the place is clear. No, I, I make sure the place is clear. Like the so first she's not thing there. I do. Is I go through all the bedrooms and I check to make sure that she is not there. Okay. That no one is there. Mm. I do all of this. And then once I have the note that the place is clear, I leave on the lights so I can go check things out, right? Eventually, I go to the bedroom. And I'm in the bedroom and I'm, and I'm looking through things. And then I find a door that goes to like this very small little room. Uh, Where there's some seemingly a desk and a computer and like a lot of information, right? I get in there. As I'm in there, I hear a door open. (laughs) Because she has come home. Because her routine has brought her home while I am there. (laughs) And she sees the lights on. And she has a gun. (laughs) And so walks into this room and I'm hiding in the corner. I turn the lights off. I hide in the corner and I'm like, please don't, me, please, don't me, please don't see me. 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 She walks into the room. She turns on the lights. She is not looking at me. She is looking at the other part of the room. She has turned on the lights and I'm crouching in the fucking corner. Um, <laughs> and then she turns. She like, goes to leave the room I'm like, nice. I can get, and then she turns the second I am like, "Oh yeah, let's it's it's all good," and then just starts like pulls out a handgun, (laughs) and I have this hammer that I picked up, and I don't want to die. I don't want (laughs) to die. So I throw the hammer, and I hit her in the head, and she drops. And I'm like, oh my god, did I just kill this woman that I was going to investigate (laughs) to help solve this mystery? Oh my fucking god, that was... Why did I do any of this? And like, that's incredible. Were
1: you able to verify... Did you kill her?
3: Yeah. I accidentally killed her by throwing a hammer at her. And like... (laughs) The other thing is, if you had... if. You can talk to people on the street. And so if I had just waited outside of her apartment for long enough, she would have walked into her apartment and I could have gone, excuse me, ma'am. Yeah. Are you Bianca? Do you know this murdered man? <laughs> because NPCs have scheduled. You can ask them about anyone else in the city. Yeah. There are three to four hundred NPCs. And if they know each other, they may tell you if you like do the thing that you want, if they if you like do the thing that want you to. Or if you, you, know, or if you, you slip you them a
2: 20, you know. <laughs> yeah which is the thing i had to do the most of i feel like it's like bribing everyone for access to things i got to <laughs> so, go look at the cctvs at the di- the diner that he he likes the the victim likes to frequent but the guy was just like not cooperating with me i'm like please it's like okay what about a hundred bucks <laughs> like i had to keep jacking the number up um that ended up to be a completely dead lead, by the way, which is also a thing that I love that they include, right? It's like there's things in the world that are just right. like this is just their natural lives. Nothing untoward happened at this diner just because right. he happened to go there the night that he like was murdered. It doesn't right. not all of it means not all of it is connected <laughs> yeah.
3: right, but in that same moment mm-hmm. if you if you have that receipt, you know that he made it home, right. You know, like, that's right. that's the cool shit is that, like, you can derive a lot of information from the things that you find, like, going through someone's trash. You know, you, if you find that receipt, it is, you are not finding the murder weapon sitting in someone's trash can. That is not the kind of investigation you are doing. You are doing the kind of investigation where it's like, all right, sure, this receipt doesn't do much, but it does eliminate a possibility.
2: Right. You and have that, that way, it's
3: really cool. Yeah it's it is really really fucking cool uh how this game like, works when and, you and i when you I think, like
2: first investigate the the body it gives you like a uh an estimated time of death right like and so like you you can start mm-hmm. putting together and you have to do the the the, the actual like timeline putting together because it, that it won't do for you it only makes connections kind of based on like so far the ones that the game has made automatically are mostly locational bases like you found all of these items at this place and like his ideas there, his like stuff, like, so things like trying to put together, like what happened that day, where he was throughout the day, who he might've seen, that's all on you. And that's really, really cool.
3: Yeah. I think it's, I think it's a really neat game. And like the fact that Rob, you alluded to this, it, it is voxel based. And so the procedural generation is such that this is a city where people just do things and so, like, that, like, that voxel-ish design philosophy of, like, things just interact with one another mm-hmm. and and kind of exist in really, like, voxels are literally, by definition, um, points that exist in relation to other points, right? That is how voxel deformation works, is that voxels as opposed to, like, um, right, traditional like, game geometry um, are relational to one another. And so, like... It is also a voxel city in terms of the relationships you are looking at, Mm -hmm. where everything is, like, nothing is set, everything is relational, and characters interact with each other in this way, which I also think probably makes it way easier to model crimes. I think it makes it, like, way less difficult to actually set up the crime modeling when all of this, like, shit is there. And so it's making me really wonder if, you know... If this could be something really special mm-hmm. in terms of giving people the real detective simulator yes. that uh, folks have been clamoring for for years,
1: what happens when you like talk me through like the solve right? Because like I, I get like I can see that you're gathering information, you're accumulating evidence, but like how does it come together in the resolution of a case? Did you so, did you solve? Did you get as far as solving or? I did not solve it, but
3: you what you do, Rob, yeah. I picked up the paper. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you are a private detective in a heavily corporatized city. We haven't really touched on the setting, the but setting, this is a is setting. Like, is, yeah. So Coca-Cola is president. Yes. Um, <laughs> that's not a joke. Coca-Cola is president. And so it's this like dystopian um, cyberpunk-esque city that is also the 1940s. Mm-hmm. um
1: hell yes
2: <laughs> it's
3: and great. so yes, you know coca-cola is president and, and so which is a big Coca-Cola point Cola they're is- like
2: the dynasty has ended and this is the first democratic democratically elected corporation to be president this year
4: <laughs> yeah
3: coca-cola is president and so the police are privatized and completely and so what you do is you go to city hall or go to like the, the, this this place and you go i would like to solve a murder and then you take the form that says, "I would like to solve a murder." Here is the information about the murder, yeah. and you fill out this form with details: who did it, what did they do it with, why. Uh, and each detail will give you more and more of a payout. Uh, I think that the uh, final payout was like fifteen hundred or like two thousand total, uh, if for for solving this murder. And so the process is: once you have the answer to those questions, you hand that shit off. You you give it to the weird fascist, like the weird corpo cops, mm-hmm. and are like, "Here is who did the murder." The, the enforcers, Bye. by the
2: way, it's just just called enforcers. Not even like yeah. you know. <laughs> um, That's yeah, and awesome. it's yeah. on all all the the form. All of like a bunch of those fields it's just like you're just typing in. Whatever you think is right, right? Like you're just going in. There's not like a, it's not like a drop down where you're picking options. It's well, tell us. <laughs> um, so like yeah. you've really got to, you're doing all the work, basically, right? Like it's really that sort of investigative situation. And like, yeah, I'm, I'm curious. I'm, I didn't get as so, so far as to like want to even attempt uh, a solve, but. Mm-hmm. I'm curious what happens if you like say it's just a random person. Yeah. But like, what do you, like, what happens if you like just fill that out? Like, could, no. could have turned in <laughs> Bianca?
3: Right. Yeah, right. Could, I, could like, I just, could I just do anyone? Yeah. Like, that's the thing I'm so curious about is it like,
2: yeah, it seems like it's possible because like it's just like a, a box you type into. So it's like, but what, how does the game react is more my, my question. I'm curious. And
3: I, <laughs> and I wonder if the game reacts by like, just setting another character into motion right right like it, the game that could very like well would, go would,
2: that feels like the kind of game that this is right
3: right where it could go all right cool now someone wants to kill you because you falsely turned accus- their friend yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah you falsely accuse someone of a crime that person's going to try to kill you now or their friend or their brother is going to try and hunt you through this city I can and so see i'm that, so i'm sure. so interested as to how this is going to go
1: well that is uh that is Shadows of Doubt. Uh doesn't look like a release date has been uh, no. put out there but it uh it was available on Steam Next Fest and that sounds like an incredible demo. Yeah, uh, I I certainly hope the I hope the final version can can live up to this this promise but that sounds that sounds utterly amazing. Uh, We are going to take a quick break here, and we'll be back in a second with an interview with the two creative directors of the original and remake versions of Dead Space. And remember, Waypoint Plus listeners get this podcast ad-free. Learn more at waypointplus.com and see how you can fill this break with nothing but what Kato says is not blessed silence, but I like the phrase blessed silence. Or blessed (laughs) silence. Point is, not ads. Waypointplus.com. Get it.
0: the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com.
1: And we are back now with Brett Robbins, creative director on the original Dead Space and now CEO of Ascendant Studios, working on Immortals of Avam and Motive's Roman campos Oriola, who was creative director on the Dead Space remake we've been talking so much about of late. Uh, Brett, Roman, thank you so much for joining us today.
5: That's great to be here. Hey.
1: So my big top-level question as we start this off is, uh, what was Dead Space? Because Patrick and I remembered it as a horror game, and we were initially convinced, before we'd gone back and looked at anything in the original game, uh he and i were sort of talking about like this is a really good and like careful reproduction of the of the original game it's pretty one to one uh and then as we've been going back to look at the original it definitely feels like actually these two games exist at really different uh spaces positions on the shooter survival for spectrum and i wonder i'm just wondering like what you both make of the gap between the two games
5: Yeah. Um, I'll, I'll start if you don't mind, Rowan. Um, I mean, I think they do exist as two separate games. Um, there are enough differences between the two that, um, you could play them each individually and get a a slightly different experience. You know, I, I'll be quick to say that I think motive has done a fantastic job of, you know, really recreating the original and adding to it. Um, and, and, you know, making changes that were smart, but, um, also honor you know honoring the, what we had done uh Thank back you in the very day. Much. Yeah, I mean it I the the remake's amazing. In my opinion I'm on my second playthrough right now. Um but uh there are enough differences where yeah you you could play the original, get a slightly different experience, uh, enjoy it in a different way. Um and uh you know seeing you know for me playing the the remake is just like a great walk down memory lane of all the things that we had decided to do and the decisions we had made and the arguments we had made about how to make Dead Space a great game and um, and seeing, you know, Motive. Probably they relived, I imagine they relived a lot of those arguments about what to do with the, <laughs> with the remake. Um, it just, yeah, it, it's it's a real thrill uh, to see it. And and I, I can't say it enough, like they just did an awesome job.
6: Thanks again. Well... Today you can still play the original game, and it still play really, really well. So that says a lot about the quality of uh, of that game. And our goal when we uh, when we started to work on the remake was not necessarily to recreate a one-to-one version of that original game. Our goal was to try to recreate the memory, the glorified memory you had of the original. It's exactly what you described, like what you, what you, the, what you experience. That was exactly our goal from day one. Like, for example, when we shows, when we, at some point, we were showing screenshots and stuff and people are like, yeah, it looks like pretty much like that space, right? This, the way I remember it. And then you watch an actual screenshot of that section and go, wow, yeah. something happened there. Like that's intentional. Like we really try to go for that because we wanted the remake to look, feel, play like you remembered the game like that 14 years old memory that has been tainted with a lot of new games new experience things etc and that was the let's say our main goal and challenge throughout the production was really trying to uh to nail that uh that specific experience
5: well yeah, and, and i'll go and, right ahead well yeah just you know coming into it i remember you know i was uh a little nervous to play it for you know, to to play the remake, because um, I was hoping they didn't screw it up or, or <laughs> make some bad changes or whatever. And um, I just remember from the first five minutes, the beats were all there, the rooms were there, the the feel, the character, the you know, the audio design, the look. But if I played the original now, I'm sure you know, like it. There are tons of differences, and and the upgrades are huge in, in terms of visual and audio quality and everything. So. Um, but it is that memory of what it should be, um, and I think they really, you know, they they honored that, which is awesome.
7: Well, what's remarkable is that when Rob and I, you know, when the the, the game is out, and we're thinking, hey, let's jump on the bandwagon. Let's let's stream the game. And we're like, oh okay, well, maybe we'll stream the old game. We'll run counter to what everyone is doing today. And what we ended up landing on is that for the last uh, two weeks we've been doing. We call it double Dead Space. And so we're streaming both games at the same time. And so Rob is playing the remake, I'm playing the original. And our whole thought was wouldn't it be fun to sit and try and actually figure out like, what is one to one? What are the changes that happened beat by beat? And what is really remarkable is that, you know, Roman, I think you totally captured that the feeling that you all were going for of, hey, what was it like when I played Dead Space back then? while also like hitting that mark in a modern context, not losing a lot of the soul of the original game, but actually seeing in front of you, hey, like none of these hallways exist in the original game. There, there were uh, most recently a moment where I'm just sitting around waiting for 25 minutes for Rob to catch up to where I am because there's a sequence where... It's floating around a spaceship. <laughs> floating around a spaceship. I just walk over to a tram ready to load the next level, and there's this whole expansive area that... Playing in the remake, my thought was, well, surely there was some version of this here. I remember the zero gravity stuff, and it's like, no, this fits within the whole feeling of that world. But uh, like that, that sequence in particular, where that one of the early zero G sections, it really gives you a sense of the scale of the Ishimura in a way that the original game sort of gestures at, suggests at. But the remake really does, I think, a really impressive job of capturing how how big. This place is, and and to that point, something I wanted to throw to the both of you was that I, I know uh, Roman with the the remake. One of the goals was to make the place feel more interconnected, that you can go from one area to the next, and it feels like it's a real ship with real locations. And the original is a lot more level based, and it's sort of suggesting the geometry and how it all linked together. And so, Brett, I'm curious. What was the thought process on like how are we thinking about this ship? How practical is the layout relative to how this ship would actually work and then roman uh how you actually connected the dots on that as you tried to make all of that
5: work well it's funny because one of the first things I noticed about the remake was that you could you know seamlessly return to previous decks you could you know the the thing did the whole Ishimura felt much more, uh, interconnected and like a, a real place. And I had wanted that on the original. Um, I'd wanted to be able to, you know, replay and then go back and find new things and everything. And we just didn't have the time, uh, to, to do it. So, you know, right away when I started playing, I'm like, Oh God damn it. They're able to do it. That's awesome. <laughs> um, I had wanted that. Um, so yeah, I mean, we had like a, a loose map of how the whole thing sort of fit together, but I think you know, even Roman, you you mentioned when we were talking uh, last week that you know, uh, as soon as you guys started actually putting it together, you're like, wait a minute, this thing doesn't actually fit logically
6: <laughs> at all. Uh, yeah, there was a little bit of that. <laughs>
5: yeah, yeah, so um, so I'm sure there was work to be done to you know actually reconstruct it in a in a real uh real way but um yeah i'd always i'd always wanted to do that so i was i was really happy that that was one of the first decisions or one of the first things i noticed about the remake
6: so a quick quick anecdote before answering you what you what you're doing it's uh, of playing both the original and and the new one. It's something we did with with the producer on the project at the Alpha when we had -hmm. the first complete Alpha of the game. And we wanted to make sure that uh, we were nailing a lot of different points and ambience and stuff. And that's what we did for three days. Like we were, we have one of those big meeting rooms at Motive with, uh, anyway, and there's just two big screens and we are playing each other side. (laughs) it. In terms of uh, what's What's uh, the Ishimura, recreating the Ishimura for us, it's uh, the Ishimura, it's a real character. Like it's one of the main character of that space. And I know that was part of the pillar of the original, That actually last week we had a, a discussion with, with Brett and it was funny because there's most of his vision and design, et cetera, in terms of paper, speech, et cetera, all of that does not exist anymore, but everything is in the game. And one of how we started building on the pro- building the project is we started with okay. So what's the vision of the Dead Space remake? Like I said, okay, true to the original, cool. What does that mean? What are the pillars of the original? And so we had to retroengineer engineer in a way the design pillar of the game. And what I really liked discussing with Brett last week was like, well, we actually nailed those pillars. <laughs>
5: It's, <laughs> but like, by the way, you, you could have picked up the phone and just called me and I would have been happy.
6: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, big company stuff. <laughs> <laughs> and the the thing is like immersion and most more than immersion, like unbroken immersion is a big pillar of, uh, of that space. Like everything with diegetic UI, all those elements, like it's really, a, it's really coming, uh, coming from that. And so we were, we were thinking about, okay, are there elements that we want to enhance or modify from the game? And we're like, okay, let's go back to those pillars and look at dead space and see with those pillars and technologies that we have now, extra the stuff that we would have done differently today. Well, the first thing is, well, the Ishimura is a character. It's that massive, hulking space Titan, and you never really get to experience it. Mm-hmm. And we have the immersion. Well, could we make it a real ship? And give it a real sense of place. Like, yeah, you feel when you crash on that ship, like you actually crash on that ship. And when you exit the ship and have a perspective of the ship being able to tell, Oh, yeah, that's the part. And that's where we crashed. And the ADS, uh, at first are here and the valor actually crashed there and all those kind of things. And that was something that uh, ended up being uh, uh, some, something we could uh, we could do, and that had a lot of cascading effect after a while, like That we had to uh, because yeah, then what happened when you revisit? So that's why we started to think about intensity, director, all this kind of this kind of elements. But at first, it was really like to reinforce the character of the of the of the shira, and really nail. The, that last bit of uh, friction for me that was existing in the immersion of Dead Space, which was like you were describing, like I arrived at the tram station. And even if that flow of taking the tram was really well done with the in and out of the camera, et cetera, still you felt, you felt like, yeah, no, I'm in a different level. Yeah. That was really the, the goal to try to yeah, remove all that layer. Like it's, it's one place. You're in it. It's Resident Evil, uh, four village. It's the, right. it's the, it's the, it's the police station. It's Resident Evil two, like really give that feeling of, uh, of a whole place.
5: Well, the, um, like that, and then that's like, you you mentioned one thing that I think is key to that, which is that intensity, uh, director, if I'm getting that term right. But, you know, the, the, the fact that when you replay, you know random things can happen enemies can jump out lights can change sounds can change um i think that was a big reason why we we didn't do it on the first one was because everything had to be very carefully scripted and choreographed to make it scary um and doing it in a sort of random dynamic way was going to be really challenging and we weren't going to have the time to really do that so the fact you guys were able to do that intensity director work is is great. And I think it really works. I mean, it, you know, when you're wandering around the revisit, so I know all, what all the scripted beats are going to be because I, because you guys recreated you know, <laughs> most of them, but yes. I, I certainly didn't know what was going to happen if I revisited and what, you know, surprises were going to happen because of the the dynamic system. And th- that's probably where I, I, I jumped the most, uh, you know, was the, the random stuff. Um, so yeah, you guys nailed that.
6: And he he spoke about the scripted moments, like do's to recreate like the scripted jump scare. Yeah. What once you, once uh, before doing that, you have no idea how difficult it is to build inside the game. <laughs> it's because in terms of timing and collaboration between all the different jobs, families to make that happen, to have the one thing that will catch your intention, your attention. So you don't see the other thing coming and then have the other thing coming. It, Perfectly timed in terms of distance of where it is. Do you see the thing first? Do you hear it first, etc. All of those things, yeah, stuff. <laughs> but th- we were able to build intensity director because we knew what were the lo- oh, the the eyes and the low in terms of intensity, in terms of pacing of that game. What we wanted to keep, what should be our reference, and what's like one thing we did at uh, at first it's to determine like what is the, the average, the default pacing curve of that space? Like going room to room, if you had to say like, oh, that room is really tense. that room is more atmosphere, that room is big fight, so like if you had to give intensity, tension, pacing values to those things, that's what we, we did at first. And then we were able to extrapolate, okay, so now that the player is roaming freely to spaces, well, we know like he just left that big scripted fight that is an eight. And no, what happened next? Well, according to our classic dead space curve should move, then it should see that or that or that. And that's where the systemic spawning system, system uh, enters in the in the mix.
5: That's awesome. That's really cool. Well on the on the note of horror, um I, Roman, you and I were talking about this before. Um you know horror is tough because a game doesn't get scary until all the final elements are in place. You need the lighting, the audio, the the timing, um, all those things to kind of, you know, mesh well together for for it to be effective. And so for a long time when we were making the original, um, I was really worried because the game wasn't scary. It certainly wasn't scary to us as the devs. Uh, we knew it was around every corner, but it just didn't, you know, like the atmosphere wasn't there yet. And that, you know, typically on a game, you don't get that final detail until towards the end of the project. And so, you know, even leading up towards the end of the project, I, I was really worried. We had a, you know, we didn't have a scary game on our hands, and then we did some of the final focus testing on it, and I was like, oh shit, no, this game, is really, <laughs> this game is really scary. People are, you know, the other thing I was worried about is we had a really short game because, uh I, you know, the devs we would blast through, running through everything. We knew how to fight. We knew how, to, you know, what was around every corner, and you could kill you beat the game in a few hours you know four or five six hours and then when we did the focus test it was like oh no people are like creeping around every corner they're walking they're 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 checking you know uh every shadow like oh shit we've got a 12 15 hour game on our hands this is amazing (laughs) i
1: am i'm curious like when we talk about the the original uh the, the pitches for 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 these games i'm curious uh brett when when this was pitched you know i think back to that time i feel like third person shooters were were coming under very strong in the wake of like gears of war but they were still kind of a novelty uh it was still it, i remember feeling like it was a bit of a uh a, a change to, to have a third person shooter uh, and i'm I'm just curious when when you think back to pitching pitching this game and sort of getting it into the pipeline, was it being sold like primarily as like we want to make a space horror game? was it being sold as we want a like we want a sort of third person shooter with a twist? I'm curious what the what the pitch was uh and and why you pitched it that way get like I'd love to hear about the pitching environment back in two thousand six, two thousand seven. Uh and Roman, I'd be curious, like when did pitching a remake uh come up? When did the idea of going back to this uh sort of sort of bubble up?
5: Yeah, um, you know, it was it was kind of a unique situation we had. Um Glenn, and I give Glenn a lot of credit for this, he had just negotiated us uh, you know, to be able to create an original IP. And um he and I found ourselves, you know, with the ability to uh, hand pick a team, uh, you know, we're going to do a prototype team of maybe 15 or 20 people. And, um, we could, uh, we had a blank page. We could do pretty much whatever we wanted. Uh, you know, it had to, we had to make a demo that was compelling or else it would have gotten axed or whatever. So, um, you know, we, we kicked around a lot of different ideas, but at the time I was just a huge, huge fan of resident evil four and I played a ton of that and I'm I'm a huge Resident Evil fan anyway and I'm a survival horror fan. And Glenn is a huge horror fan as well. So um you know we just both kinda hit on, man, let's just do a horror game in space and and looked around and hadn't really seen anything like that. Um <clears throat> I would say, you know, maybe System Shock uh was you know kinda horror elements to it and was in a, in a space station and everything. So that was a touchstone. But, um, it was really like, let's make Resident Evil 4 in space. And that was my sort of like mantra for development. If I ever had a design question or, you know, we weren't sure what to do, look at Resident Evil 4. How did they solve this? Because that game is amazing. I can't wait for, they're doing a remake of that now. So I can't wait for that. But, um, so yeah, it wasn't about making a shooter. Now, the, the shooting part developed and, and started to get really fun, and um, you could almost argue that Dead Space is, you know, is as much of a shooter as it is a horror game. Um, I think we really nailed the combat, and that was difficult to figure out how the dismemberment mechanic was going to work, and uh, propagating that across all the weapons and all the enemies and everything was definitely challenging at the time. Sorry, but, um to
1: interrupt. How far yeah. apart between we want to make a space horror game and, um, like, uh, li- limb severing? Uh, how far apart were those two ideas, right? Because they're inseparable in my head. I can't imagine a version of Dead Space where it's, like, shoot the zombie until it, it drops. Like, to me, it's, like, this is the mechanic. This is the signature of, of Dead Space. And I'm curious, how long between the idea of, like, space horror and cut off their limbs, how how big's the gap there? Where does it come from?
5: It was right away. it was i I would say the first month or two of the project we um and again i give glenn credit i think it i I can't remember whose you know idea it was but i know he championed it um and i got behind it but i was worried about it because uh i knew it was going to create all these challenges for combat and enemy behavior and not to mention technical hurdles of tracking those limbs and figuring out how that all was going to work um uh the weapon design being complementary to the enemy behaviors like there was a lot there that I was like, Oh shit, okay, this is gonna be interesting, but it was really early, and our f- very first prototype and demo uh had that as a as a pillar um so we embraced it, and you know i think it was probably i think that first demo was about six months after we started, and we saw it working, and we're like okay we can we can make this work That first demo had uh dismemberment it had zero g. Um, and you know, those concepts were like, okay, I I think we can do this. Um, but yeah, it was really close. And, you know, you asked about the pitching process, like, um, we had to convince people that this was going to be a a good game and there was going to be something worth doing at EA. Um, and I remember we had an all hands meeting where you get the whole studio together. It's like, you know, and there was like four or five different projects being made. So we had like four or 500 people in the room and we showed off the first prototype which was just like half of 10 15 minutes of a level but it looked really good it looked like how dead space was going to look and it played how it was going to play and we got a standing ovation on that thing and i i think at that point we're like okay i don't think we're getting canceled
6: <laughs> uh for so for motive because when the project was a green light for for motive i was uh, not working at the, uh, at that moment but the the story is that there's a so they finished they had finished working on the on the squadron or they were finishing working on the squadrons and they were looking at what's next for the for the studio and some people of uh, some core people from motives actually worked for uh, vice Montreal. When, uh, when it was a thing. So for example, the, uh, the, art, the art director, Mike Jean was our director for uh, Visual Montreal when uh, Visual Montreal helped on the uh, DS2 and, uh, and DS3. Mm-hmm. So uh, when Patrick closed, the MD of the studio started to ask the colleague, okay, so what's next for the studio? Mike was like, it's space. <laughs> <laughs> dead Space. And then you had all those people behind him. Dead Space. <laughs> <laughs> and basically, that's how it got, uh, it got pushed. It's the the fact it's me or the producer, the, the whole core team. Yeah. We were, we, we were really passionate about Dead Space. And that's the reason some of us, like me or uh, the producer of Ypticharm, we came to work at, uh, at EA. But, uh, it's also like people from, uh, from Motive were actually passionate about that space. And given the chance to, given the, when they were, got asked the question, what you want to, what you want to do next? Well, the one thing that came was, yes, that space. And that's how it got, uh, it got pitched. And then there was a whole case made around it, uh, et cetera. But that's how it got, uh, it got pushed uh, at EA. For the two of you, uh Brett, I'm
7: curious. Now that you've you've played through the you know the entire uh, remake, and I, you know you're on your second playthrough, for you, I wonder what was the thing you were most nervous slash, the thing that was most precious to you about what your team built that you were like, man, I hope they don't f this. Thing. I'm just worried. I, you know, the kind of thing you were just like, I don't know what this is going to look like. I'm nervous about it. And for Roman, what was the most precious sort of like either sequence or element? The thing you were most nervous about going back to this kind of modern classic and like, Hey, we have to, this is the part we have to nail. And I'm, this is the part I'm the most nervous for, I don't know, you know, someone like Brett to like go back and look and like, Hey, we honored the thing that, you know, your original team built.
5: Yeah. I mean, I, you know, I had heard about the, I heard the announcement of the remake and yeah, my first thought was, okay, don't fuck this up. <laughs> uh, you know, if you're going to do this, do it well. Um, and then. Um uh, there was a little bit of marketing copy around like improvements to the original and i'm like how dare you <laughs> how, how, what, what are you talking about improvements um but like yeah no so i will you know i was um
6: we did not say improvement We said enhancement that was oh,
5: okay. <laughs> you can see the whole marketing
6: <laughs> wording carefully choice
5: <laughs> um yeah, so you know, I, w- I was definitely like hoping it would you know they had done it justice and everything. Um, I think I was hoping that the room design and the combat design was intact because those were two things I personally spent a lot of time on. Um, you know, as creative director, I was uh, directing the the game design and had a you know um, a big stake in the narrative and did some of the writing and all that kind of stuff. So I I was hoping that like the, the room design, um, some of the big showcase, you know, set piece rooms would be intact. Um, that the general flow of the story was intact and, and, um, and then the combat, which we spent a lot of time on, um, felt right. You know, the enemy behaviors and the weapons and everything, um, would at least be close. Um, and so, like I said, uh, Absolutely. They nailed it. Like it, it feels like what I remember dead space to be the stomp feels great. The plasma cutter, which is to me, the signature weapon of the franchise. Uh, they totally, you know, got that right. Um, I also did a lot of the balancing of the game, like the, um, you know the drops and uh, you know when you run out of ammo ammo scarcity all that kind of stuff and um that's hard to do on a survival horror game you can tune the game in a way where suddenly players are out of ammo and having a miserable experience or they're out of health and you know it's it's a tricky balance and so I was hoping they they got that right as well and they they really did um you get you know you run out of ammo at the right times and you feel really great when you find that you know um clip of plasma energy or whatever. So those are the main things. And and the combat, the combat's tricky. Um the necromorph behaviors are complicated. Um and uh and they just recreated it in such a great way and enhanced it in some ways as well. Like that's the main thing is every single time I saw a change when I was playing, I thought, yep, that's additive. That's better. Um, They should have done that. We should have done that. You know, like, uh, I wish I could have done that. You know, there's a lot of those moments, um, which is, which is great. They're making, you know, those are hard decisions to make. I'm sure every one of those decisions, they were worried about, you know, disappointing fans or going against the grain. And I think they made a lot of smart decisions there.
6: So, uh, first thing you mentioned, (laughs) (laughs) what was really, really stressful, like everything, because, uh, (laughs) because, like, even before thinking about the, the view of the, the fans or ex it's, like I was saying, like, we were a fan of that game. So coming on it, we, 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 the biggest pressure we had was the internal pressure of us doing that of the team. And, uh, like, yeah, we, we don't want to fuck this up because we want, we love so much that game that we want that version to be good. Uh, but. The, yeah, everything was tough to make. The difference, it's a lot of like visuals or ambience or pacing, like uh, all of that. Because we had the original, because we could do playtest, et cetera. As we were progressing, we we're like, okay, we can evaluate those, uh, those things, know whether or not we're on the right track or so relieve a bit the pressure, uh, during development. The part that was most stressful to me. It's the fact that uh, we changed some elements of the story.
1: Mm-hmm.
6: First one, we gave Isaac a voice, and by mm-hmm. doing that, we had to rewrite all the all the dialogues. And I think on that, the the senior writer Joanna berry did an amazing job. But that was scary as hell because you cannot mm-hmm. playtest that. Like yeah, yeah you can have, you can get some opinion in playtest. Oh yeah, but but it's like hundred people. Yeah. so it's it's not that's. You will get surprised within the game launch on, uh, on that. And so that part, like Isaac voice, the lines we change, uh, elements we change in the, or we adjust in the stories or uh, in the story or think, uh, some so modification we made on the personal arc of uh, Kendra or Amon, mm-hmm. this kind of, those kind of things. Yeah, we were, that was pretty stressful. <laughs> <laughs>
5: Well the the Isaac voice thing is interesting because um you know back in 2006 when we started um it was more of a design debate I think back then you had you know Gordon Freeman in Half-Life 2 you had um I I'm not sure I was trying to remember if the character talked in the original BioShock I don't think they did um it just it was more of like a a thing of you know oh should they talk shouldn't they do you want to really embody this avatar And have them be you, or you know, if they, and especially with a horror game, or is he going to say something that's going to throw you out of the experience, and you're not going to feel like um, it's, you know, you're as immersed. Um, I think in 2023, that is, you know, it would have been weird to not have him speak. Now that we have the Uncharted's and the Last of Us and God of War's, you know, third person games, it's just such a convention now to hear the character's voice. So I think what you guys did really well was you didn't have him talking all the time. He wasn't a chatterbox. He wasn't telling me what to do. It was, you know, spar- uh, sparse and what, that kept, you know, I think it kept the immersion going. It didn't break things um, at all. So it, uh, I think yeah. that, it was a good decision.
6: Yeah, the goal was to, to even though he talked, was to not have him break the the isolation feeling Mm -hmm. that you're really alone and that's why you're scared like you're in the dark you're alone you're trying to find the switch you talk to yourself instantly it reassures you even if it's just your own voice so that was something really important for us like hey he's gonna talk but only when he's being told to so it doesn't break the emotion. Like our goal was to add a bit more agency to the character, reinforce that uh, engineer fantasy. Like is part of the solution, part of the plan. Like he's, uh, he's not just uh, doing what he's being told to. Like he's, um, he, he has a voice like, uh, Amund, like Kendra. And so he's part, uh, he's part of that. But the reason at first why, uh, why we thought about it was because of Dead Space 2 and 3, et cetera, mm-hmm. and Gunnar Wright. And because, First, we're like, yeah, okay, it's so. It was not even a discussion. Like, it was, we were starting to work on prototype and doing some work on the on the story and the retro, uh, retro engineering a bit the story, the different themes, and to, to help feed also art in terms of, oh, yeah, so that's, that image means something. So that's why we want the art to be bigger or whatever. And at some point, we're like, okay, it was Isaac Clarke. And for all of us it was like well it's that guy from dead space two and three right yeah, yeah. but he did not talk in the original we we're like oh fuck. because <laughs> for all of us like
5: yeah the if members. you asked
6: anybody in the team who, who is isaac clark well it's gonna write it's yeah. that's the guy yeah and so that's that's why it was a it was a, a tough a tough decision it's because for all of us, it was him, we had uh, these people from the community with whom we were working. With, they were under the NGF for the whole duration of the of the project, the community council. So we were meeting with them almost every month, et cetera. And they had the same answer, like when because we did not, of course, tell them, yeah, we want to change the voice of, uh, we want to give a, a voice to Isaac, because uh, that moment everybody would say, oh no, no, no. But we said, okay, for you, who's Isaac Clark? And they were, all, oh, it's gonna write. And we're like oh, yeah. interesting. Yeah, he has a voice. <laughs> so that was a, that was a, a tough one, but really, like I said, the moment where we say, so not only, yeah, it was his face, but we could have taken only his face and not his voice and just use him for barks, etc. But the moment where we decided really to give him a voice was two reasons. First, to uh, having Isaac talk helps with the dynamic with Kendra and Hammond, because now when they're arguing, etc., they try to take him on their side. Right. And so he's able to interact a bit with that. So that builds up on the paranoia element. And that helped make those characters a bit more a bit more believable. So for us, that was interesting. And like I said, the other one was like, yeah, we want to reinforce the engineer fantasy. There's a lot of of uh, changes we made in the game or additions we, we made to try to reinforce that, like secret breaker and those kind of elements. And we're like, yeah, he's the space engineer, the guy that knows how to fix that ship. It's not Amon. It's not Kendra. It's Isaac. So having them constantly telling him how to fix the ship, now that we have Gunner's face, now that we can potentially have his voice, well, of course, we need to do that. And so that's the the reasoning behind it. But that was stressful nonetheless.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I am glad we didn't have to get into an argument about whether we should have kept the... Uh Zero gravity uh mag boot jumping uh, se- sequences. Uh, <laughs> than just floating around because I, I one thing I was I was stunned at was in those moments I was like I remember getting through the zero g therapy room being really hard. It was really easy in the remake, and I and now I think back on it, it's like. Oh, that's because I was wildly motion sick after like two minutes <laughs> of, the, of the zero G jumping around. I, I have no spatial awareness. The second the camera reverses, I'm like, I don't know where I am. I don't know. I, I thought I knew where I was jumping to. I don't anymore. Uh, So it's it, like the part of me that's like a bit of a space sci-fi nerd. I kind of miss the like, he shouldn't be jumping around with just Magus to like anchor him to, to the spaceship. Like that's, that's right. That's, that's probably how it should be. But man, it's a lot more playable. Just float around with my little jetpack.
5: That that yeah, that was a decision that I'm I'm not uh, you know I I don't mind at all. I think the original zero g mechanic, you know, it was meant to be. Uh, you were meant to feel kind of helpless. You're meant to feel like, oh, I I got to commit to a jump. I'm going in one direction. I can't you know I can't adjust my course. Um, uh it's meant to, it was meant to feel kind of disorienting and all of this was sort of of a piece of Isaac being out of his element and and just trying to survive and everything but um i will admit like the jetpack sequences uh now are fun and and they give us a feeling of like exploration and liberation where i'm able to kind of like you know uh, explore uh around in a large space in a kind of a fun way um and I think and that was largely a Dead Space Two mechanic, I think. If yes. I remember correctly. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, I mean I think that I'm I have no problem with that change.
6: What, well so for us we made that change mainly because uh because of fantasy in the sense of when you speak when you think about being in space, that it's really the that element of floating around, we felt like it was nail in that space one. But the, the element of being disoriented was still in the back of our head. Like and mm-hmm. still something we wanted to use. So it's it's less present than in the original on the sequence, but it was still something we wanted to use to push the tension at some moment. So for example, the first time you explore in zero G and you have to go back in the elevator shaft. What's interesting is that you Still have that sense of the the you should not be here. The place the f- around you does not make sense for you to move like that. So it creates a bit that sense of tension because you're going also deep in the darkness, etc. So that was useful. And then the fight in zero G. That we had to change some element, of course, no. And for us, it was really important to have that that feeling of disorientation when you get hit by something. Like yeah, you are in control, etc. But as soon as you add a Leaper in the situation. You're like, where is he? Where is he? And you have to use the headphones from your ear to be able to locate him. And if you're not fast enough, punch you, and you start to spin. You're like, well, where is? He? Like, that's how we wanted to uh, to use it to really push the the for to recapture that sense of disorientation. But for those uh, specific moments, and we lost it a little bit just yes, on the on the broader uh, sequence.
1: Well, it is. You're right. It is still there. People can see my little mini meltdown during the ads sequence when uh, <laughs> I was being shot at by the by little babies, and I could not find the last one. Uh, I I lost all my cool uh, in that moment. But uh, thanks so much for like chatting over the the two games with us. Um, we've been obviously uh, like loving the experience of looking at the two games uh, side by side, and I think the exercise of having the lens of the remake to through which to reexamine the original has really made it easy to appreciate both games uh, and the work the two teams uh, did and the and the things they achieved uh, with, with the two versions of that space
5: thanks man yeah no it's great and I once again I want to shout out to motive and to Roman that uh it's awesome they, they did an awesome job well thank you for having
6: us and thank you for creating and everybody advice for creating that amazing game because otherwise i would not have been able to remake it and have a blast doing it so no i just love that game like i said it was the reason i came to ea
5: awesome <laughs>
1: and we are back I uh, hope everyone enjoyed the the interview uh, i know i did as patrick uh, ribbed me for i did i do have a knack for extending interviews uh, with the the, the colombo like one one last thing uh, one, one more question uh anyway we we are back and uh ren before the show you mentioned you've been playing uh a lot of wild hearts
3: Yes, I have. I have been in the midst of a review of Wild Hearts, which is the Koei Tecmo Monster Hunter game, uh, which is, I think, very good. Um, I'll be honest, the best comparison point would be if you combine Monster Hunter and Fortnite. Fortnite? Fortnite. Number one, Victory Royale. Yeah, Fortnite, we're about to get down, get down. Ten kills on the board right now. Just wait to Tomato Town, Fortnite. Um, <laughs> that Because Fortnite. <laughs> uh, Wild Hearts is a Monster Hunter style game in which you are, um, you know, animation-driven combat against large monsters in detailed environments with, like, the kind of systemic interactions that you expect in a Monster Hunter game, right? But on top of this, there is this system wherein your character is able to build things in the environment uh, as they are fighting, uh, so, for example, if a monster is about to do, like, a big, like, charge attack towards you, you can, on the fly, build, like, six, like, blocks. And then they will form, like, this big barricade wall that the monster will slam its head into and then go flying, right? Because it, it stunned itself against this wall, right? And the entire game is built around, like, kind of the interplay between your monster hunter style like combat and you know, this, this building system. Um, and I think it's really neat. Um, and it like does not, it is giving very different vibes, uh, than a monster hunter game, which I think is, um, really interesting.
1: And what, like mechanically, obviously I can, I can see why it would like have a different vibe, but just in terms of like, well, vibes like atmosphere, uh, setting, what is jumping out at you is like contributing to it having a distinct identity uh apart from like that makes it not a like monster hunter alike.
3: Right. I mean, so the key difference is that like you are not fighting monsters per se. Uh the enemies, the kimono, are not they're they're closer to spirits, right? And and the game treats them as such. Uh, when you fight one of them uh, after you after you kill them, like you, your character without fail pays <laughs> respects to the spirit uh, who they just killed. Um, the music in the fights is much less um, you're fighting a big monster and more. This is the climax of, for example, uh, uh you know, uh, Princess Mononoke. There are. Monsters that are straight up the uh, boar spirit from the beginning of Princess Mononoke and mm-hmm. and, and throughout that film. Uh, and so all of these enemies are like mixed between animals and aspects of the natural environment, whether it be mountains or volcanoes or a root system or, you know, a fungal colony. All of them are like tied directly into the environment aesthetically. Um the music contributes to this as well. Uh, and then also mechanically they are part of the world, right? They shape the environment around them in a way that monster hunter monsters will do for like maybe a single attack, but do not like permanently reshape things. Um, kimono can like, you know, when a monster gets enraged, when a kimono gets enraged, um, they can, for example, spawn a massive root system, That covers, you know, half of an area that you then have to navigate as a root system that is covering most of the area, right? They are reshaping the terrain as much as the player is. And it creates this like really dynamic fights with where you are like pushing and pulling as to like who is defining the environment that you're fighting in. Uh, Are they destroying what you're putting what you're building? Are you, you know, doing things to disrupt um, what they're trying to set up? Uh, And it's really, really cool.
1: Why you gotta kill him? Why you gotta fight him? Like, I don't want, I don't want hurt. like, there's a little picture of porcupine man. Can you, little, can little you porcupine. capture, can you capture them like in Monster no. Hunter? C- I don't want to fight this little capture them guy. like
3: in Monster Hunter. Why
1: do I gotta fight this little guy? Like, I'm just curious, I'm, I'm genuinely yeah. curious the setting, like, uh, what is the impetus for, for all this?
3: So, uh, there is a resource in the world called Celestial Thread, uh, and Celestial Thread is what kimono are, like, sustained off of, Right? Uh, And Celestial Thread is like a, uh, you know, the movement of life through the environment. Humans uh, and, like, hunters and Kimono, like, have this, like, reciprocal relationship with with Celestial Thread. Uh, Like, the conflict between them produces, like, a cycle of life, right? The reason that you are fighting them specifically in this game is that... um, there has been a recent war between human beings that has permanently blighted parts of the world and like cut the parts of those parts of the world off from um this like cycle of being. Uh, and because of that, uh, kimono are trying to expand their territory because of human action, right? And so it's leading to this like tension where human settlements are now. Coming under attack because of uh, the damage that this war has done to the like natural territories of of these different spirits. Right. And so part of the game, like the narrative is trying to find a way to restore the flow of celestial thread. uh, Back to the world or back to at least this region um, such that they don't need to do this territorial migration that is putting them at conflict with people. And so it is this like much more thematically coherent version of what monster Hunter frequently tries and fails to do. Uh, it is, it is, it is what if someone took the the themes that monster Hunter uh, plays with and actually like thought about them for more than five minutes <laughs> uh, and was like, what if we actually built the very gameplay systems around this tension uh, and and around the fact that like humans and kimono have a relationship, right? That, that 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 these two modes of being are kind of like interdependent on one another through like these cycles. Um, and this goes all the way down to like armor customization. When you are upgrading your armor, there are two paths of armor upgrade: the human path and the kimono path, where you can either have armor that is. ...built upon, like, that focuses on human craftsmanship, it focuses on the metal components, it focuses on the, you know, human ingenuity and our capacity to affect the built environment. That is what human path armor looks like, it's much more, um, you know, traditionally military, uh, or, um, you know, it looks like armor, versus the kimono path, which is, like, filled with either, you know, integrated with plants or with parts of the monster that are like parts of the kimono that you can recognize. uh, And both paths bring out different skills uh, in each set of armor. And so it is, the game is like so much built around this tension between trying to find a way to both exist as human beings in the world and also collaborate and, you know, work in in concordance with um,
1: the, you know, an unbuilt environment. What do you do when you're not fighting monsters?
4: You're. Or, a I'm curious
1: in terms of like, hang, like hanging out in between these and like, to what degree are there hunts? To what degree, like, what, what are you doing out in the world?
3: So it is pretty much all just hunts. So it's hunts, yeah. and then there is a hub town, which is uh, Minato, which is the hub town. Uh, you can take a bath there if you want. Yeah. Um but the game is pulling on the monster hunter world or monster hunter rise style of like once you're out in the environment there are just monsters around and if you start fighting them the game will put you in a hunt effectively it'll be like okay cool you are hunting this monster now uh you get three tries if you die three times we'll kick you out um back to the camp but like you can kind of just naturally go from thing to thing to thing, uh, in the open world. And you can also build emplacements, right? So one of the things that you do over time is, and this is why, um, I believe that, uh, Diego Arguello for a uh, polygon compared it to a strand game, which I think is very funny. Death stranding is actually a pretty good point of comparison for the long term building that you're doing in the game, uh, versus the like in combat in combat. It is Fortnite. Um, uh, You know, in the long term, it's closer to Death Stranding where you are building infrastructure in this environment, right? You are going out and being like, actually, I don't think I have a hunting tower here that will show me what is in this area. So I have to go get the resources to build this hunting tower. And then that hunting tower will always be in your world. Or, you know, a zip line you set up from point A to point B will always be in your world. But when you go to other players' worlds you are playing in their versions of the map Mm. and so you see the ways in which like different people create different approaches to their respective environments Uh, i feel very bad for anyone who goes to my world because like sorry y'all i don't have shit for you i (laughs) do not have i do not have the infrastructure that would make this easy Uh, i don't have a ton of camps set up because that's just not i like to fight the monsters i don't Love the like camp management in most games, but like this is actually getting me to do it more. The idea that other people will have to use the fucked up like map that I am putting together. This is
2: the thing. Do you want to make Ren clean the space up? Invite someone else over. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's that's legitimately it. That is legit because like I will deal with any amount of inconvenience.
3: I will wander around that map for fifteen minutes looking for the monster instead of building a hunting tower like a normal fucking person. I I don't I don't care about me like that. I I simply do not. Other people though? You think I'm gonna make you think I'm gonna make my friend walk around for 15 minutes looking for a monster? No. It'll be right there. I'm show be marked up. on the map. You will have zip lines to get the fuck over there. We are not, we aren't I'm making this house a home. Not for me,
2: but for you. So if somebody popped in unexpectedly, like, damn bitch, you live like this. Yeah,
3: exactly. <laughs> I'm, I'm right now. I'm in the damn bitch. You live like this phase of the game. Yeah, yeah. And I would like to be in the, Oh, that's, that's a cool poster phase <laughs> of having a, having a, uh, a, a setup like camps and stuff. And, uh, yeah, the fights are really like engaging. The, each kimono is, is associated with an element and shapes the environment through that element. And so you have a lot more, uh, attacks at range than you do in monster hunter. Uh, or than you do with some monsters in Monster Hunter. Basically, everything you fight has a very real and dangerous ranged option, which is not always the case in Monster Hunter. Um, Kimono are generally also, I think, a little bit harder to read because a lot of their attacks windups do look a little bit similar, which can be frustrating. And some of the timing windows can be pretty tight. Uh, There's one weapon that... Also, the game's weapons are really sick because that's the Koei Tecmo special, right? Like mm. Neo, um, a bunch of shit, uh, but Neo in particular. Koei Tecmo is really good at making really unique weapons. And so, the weapon I was using for most of the game so far uh, was the Umbrella. And the Umbrella is a bladed umbrella that can be used for uh, cutting attacks and piercing attacks. But most importantly, it has a parry. And when you parry with it, it charges up the umbrella, so you do more hits when you spin it. And so if you parry, like, three attacks in sequence and fully charge it, it becomes the highest DPS weapon in the game. Ooh. But those parries require impeccable timing. Mm-hmm. The parry windows are really no, thank tight. You. <laughs> and <laughs> <Not> for me. <laughs> and the other thing is that these fucking monsters... We all played the beginning of Elden Ring. Everyone here on this podcast (coughs) played the beginning of Elden Ring. You know how Morgott hangs there for fifteen fucking minutes before he swings his stupid stick at you?
4: Yeah,
3: I'm gonna do it. Everyone, your life ends in
2: the next thirty seconds.
3: (laughs) Every single monster, every kimono has like three attacks. Where I'm like, surely that's about to hit me. No, it's fucking not. No, it's not. It'll hit you two seconds from now. And here's the thing about that parry. That parry has a two-second long animation. And so if you hit it and you do not get it within the parry window, which is like frame one through like frame ten, maybe, you're just going to be standing there twirling that fucking umbrella for the next two seconds as a big monkey wrecks your shit. (laughs) <laughs> as, the, as just the biggest monkey in town just obliterates your whole deal. And you're gonna have to sit there and watch and be like, damn, I am stupid. I Oh, fuck. And so it can be occasionally frustrating uh to fight some enemies where it's like just one enemy, the grit dog. The grit dog's like a beaver motherfucker. The grit dog's got this big tail and he, you know, summons uh iron spires everywhere and like shoots them out of the ground. And he has an attack where he throws his big body up in the air and he jumps towards you, right? And be, you may be thinking to yourself, well, surely the attack happens when he hits you with his big dumb body flowing through the air. No, fool. <laughs> that is the sign. That attack is when he summons a spear of iron from underneath your feet in the ground. So you don't block... Uh, you don't use the parry when his big dumb body is about to hit you. You use the parry halfway through his jump when the iron spire underneath your feet shoots out from the ground. How do you parry <laughs> an
1: iron spire shooting out <laughs> from beneath your feet?
3: An Un- umbrella. Umbrella can parry anything.
1: Is there I an animation know. that makes that ma- that makes sense? Is there like a ah uh, that umbrella really did work with that iron spike coming out of the ground, or is it just kind of like?
3: It, yeah, it worked. <laughs> it's a bit of it worked, but also like the, the animation they have is like you kind of jumping and opening it. Mm. Uh, and so there is a like, okay, I can see how that would bl- to block enough of that attack for me to get the parry. Technically. Um, I will say that like for as tight of some of these timings are blocking like a four or five attack string from a, from one of these monsters feels fucking incredible you feel like the like a god uh where i when i was like parry, 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 and then the string like the combo ends and i have a fully charged umbrella and i hit and i just see dozens of like 12 damage right i'm doing like three 400 damages like 300 damage a swing just shredding through this thing and you know the monsters react like Monster Hunter monsters when you're hitting them, right? They do it is not as like when you hit a monster with a great
2: sword, it's not the like smash, gone that Monster Hunter has. I was going to ask, do do they have that same sort of, like, level of mitigation? Like, in Monster Hunter, one of the things you can focus on is, like, if I hit them enough in a certain area, they'll react a certain way. Like, if I hit them enough in the head, they'll fall down from stun damage if I'm using the yeah. right kind of weapon. If I hit them in the leg, I can trip them. And, like, you kind of can lean on that in order to find better windows for attacking the monsters. Is this, like, that, or is it more based yes. around, okay. that's you are part- You are part-breaking.
3: Okay, cool. uh, and different parts, uh, like just like Monster Hunter, different yeah. parts have different resistances to different weapon types and different elements. Um, but on so, like, top of, of things- that, you can also mm-hmm. start
2: be a parry monster if you really want to be. <laughs> right. Yes.
3: <laughs> uh, one of the monsters, uh, the big monkey. monkey, you can break his little butt off. His little his little butt tail off and he goes, ouch. And he holds his <laughs> and then he holds his butt and he goes, ouch, ouch, ouch. And then it creates like this massive window. Awesome. Uh to get him. And also it will knock him out of enraged status. Huh. Um just like a goat. And ju- exa- I'll be honest, Kato, it's just Rajong again.
4: <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Like they just
3: put <laughs> but here's the thing, Kato. Mm-hmm. They made their Rajong like the the fifth thing you fight. Ah. <laughs> yeah yeah they made their rajong the fifth thing you fight and that motherfucker hits like a train and is wildly
2: aggressive in the games that i've encountered Tim in which i haven't played a ton of monster hunters but the ones that he rajong's like end game like yeah he's he's, he's a fucker
3: (laughs) rajong is a monster hunter he's a big monkey uh rob who's who's based on goku he is explicitly (laughs) based on goku he goes super saiyan uh, the Big Monkey is famous for killing Elder Dragons, okay. uh, which are the series like peak of monsters. Yeah. It's like Elder Dragons, Devil Joe, Rajong uh, are all <laughs> able to fight on like relatively the same playing field. Uh, and so they throw their version of a Rajong at you pretty early. Um, also, it's worth noting that like these monsters can be big. Mm. Some Monster Hunter monsters can be big, but like some kimono are like four or five stories tall.
2: Damn. Is there, is to there like, any. To their shoulder. Is Not there... like.
3: Like they were like wide too.
2: Mm. Is there any sort um, of like. um Like mounting mechanics or climbing yes. mechanics for those big ones? Or like, how does yes, that work? Because like, you know, Monster, Monster Hunter is kind of like an off on. You're either mounted and you're doing attacks or.
3: Breath of the Wild Shadow of the Colossus climbing. Oh, is what we're Is what we're looking okay. at. Okay. All um, right. <laughs> yeah. uh, the only problem is that like, I will say that it's a Koei Tecmo game. So it's a little bit rough around the edges at times. And you will get caught in geometry. Mm. Like uh, it's, it is uh, every once in a while. I'm like, okay, cool. The camera is not able to, to deal
2: with where this monster <laughs> has
3: put me. Or right. I am very clearly inside this man. Like we, we
2: are, <laughs> I am on the insides. We are sharing material
3: planes. Like we, <laughs> this is not good. Um, but when it's working, mm-hmm. it is really good.
1: I'm excited that to sounds, try it out. Yeah, that sounds really, really cool. Um, definitely interested to see uh, how it how it evolves as you play a bit more. Um, I guess the only other thing I've got, so I played a game called Pacific Drive. Um, uh, I think its trailer showed up in might have been one of the uh, Xbox showcases uh, like last year, but uh It is a game where lots of spooky stuff has happened in the Pacific Northwest, mm. and you have to sort of navigate an environment that is now uh sort of shot through with um during my demo session I was like so this is this this game is basically station wagon stalker <laughs> and that is that is the most concise way I can think of describing it huh. uh because like The Pacific Northwest has tons of anomalies now. Stalker style anomalies. It also has weird like creatures flying around. Mm -hmm. Uh, And to navigate this world, you have a station wagon that is kind of um, like the Ecto-1 in Ghostbusters. Like as you develop it and upgrade it, you sort of harden it against anomalies and you put all sorts of like weird gadgets and uh, equipment on it. Um, but yeah, the where it gets uh so it's also a it's a run based game, and when you go into an area, you drive your little your little station wagon uh along it, and you're trying to like collect crafting materials and resources, so you're like hopping out of your car to like go uh you know go through the ruins and try to find equipment and such. We're also trying to gather resources that will enable you to like use your MacGuffin device to allow you to uh like survive the, the anomalies and open up new areas in the game. But as you sort of, uh as you sort of go around, like the, the big thing is a lot of the anomalies will, hurt your car in one way or another so like for instance uh in the demo i was saying like you might just encounter an an anomaly that's like a big floaty bounce pad type thing so you'll just be driving along and then suddenly your car just begins to sort of flubber through the air and uh you know it depending on how it's weighted it might just suddenly like tip toward the ground like a diving airliner Uh, And so you got to kind of watch out for watch out for that Um, or and this was this is where like the game seems particularly set up to create chains of misfortune. Hmm. And so one of the things that uh, the game like, you know, is going for a bit of an eerie atmosphere, but also like the creature behavior seems more uh, like mischievous than than malevolent, uh, a lot of the little things that are flying around and getting up to mischief in this world are gathering like bits of junk themselves. Like you'll see, like um, I don't even know, if they're, you know, I don't know if they're like technically animals or not, but they certainly look like uh, like flying creatures. But they will extend little like tendrils of energy down to the ground and scoop up junk. It's like flying, like little magpie behavior. And they love car parts. <laughs> and so you will like you'll you know, you'll drive along, you pull up to a gas station, you'll be like, I bet I can find good loot in that, that gas station somewhere in its garage and such. You'll get you'll you'll run out and start getting stuff. And then you'll hear like "kerchunk," and you'll turn around and you will see one or maybe several of these creatures just stripping your car uh before before your eyes, like pulling off doors, side panels, some of your equipment, etc. And you have like you have crafting materials so you can sort of like do spot weld repairs. Like so you hold your welding gun up to the car and car heals. But like you also don't want them to take that stuff. So you can you'll you sort of chase them down and grab the stuff and you know bring your car's hood back because this all contributes to its damage resistance, its ability to survive mm-hmm. the the vagaries of this of this zone. Um, but as you are doing that, the odds of other creatures coming along begin to increase. So, like, there will be creatures that just sort of forget stripping your car. They will hook a little proboscis to it and just sort of slurp it. and start taking it away with them like entirely along along the level like just towing your car away Oh no! (laughs) and so you know now you'll have to you know forget the guy who's flying off with bits and pieces of your car now the whole car what is left of it is being taken away by a different creature and it's just being like hauled bodily into the woods this can also happen while you're driving the car at which point (laughs) uh you are sort of like trying to counter steer against it. Like it, it looked like, you know, through some driving chicanery, you might be able to break the toe, mm-hmm. uh, and, and get away from this thing. But for a little while, you're going to have to like drive into the skid. Like you can't, it does not seem like you can <laughs> just like, you know, hit the brakes and you'll break contact. You're going to have to figure out a way to sort of, um, create a little like angular momentum to, to break away. Um, And all of this is timed against – there is a – I think they were sort of explaining this is kind of true in every zone you go. So the idea is that there's a storm and like a Fortnite-style storm. Uh, Mm -hmm. So we're in the day of the Fortnite alike. Uh, Every zone, eventually the storm is coming. And it will come in from some edge of the map and will just steadily narrow down the range of the map where you can exist freely. And if you're caught in the storm, your car gets damaged uh, now. the And then once the car is like. You are not tanky at all, like once the car is done, you're done. Um, That's that's kind of the that's kind of the gist of this is the, the car is your uh, this is your submarine effectively uh, for for dealing with the depths of the of the pack northwest here so once the storm is done you're done but the car can survive in the storm for a bit so that they they're sort of pains to outline like they're as you might expect with a game like this they're focusing a lot on balance in terms of like they don't want it to be like these spirals go so bad so quickly that you're just like, well, I just got fucked. Like, this mm-hmm. is not like this runs over. I'm screwed. Uh, but also they don't want it to be totally trivial. Uh, so like the storm balance is a key, a, a prime example of that. We're like, the storm should be scary. And they, they're, they it's certainly visually is quite something. It's like a wall of like crackling energy coming, coming at you. Uh, once you in it, all your car systems be going, begin going haywire. Visibility gets very tough. Cause again, you're in this like lurid, it's like the storm. And, um, Man, that's Road in some ways. It's just like uh, all disorienting, uh, like mist and energy. But as scary as it looks, it also looks like you have longer than it feels like to drive safely out of it mm-hmm. and make your, make your escape.
3: C- can I ask a question? Yeah. How much, so you are, I assume, are you always in, if you are outside driving, you are imperiled. Yes.
1: Um, yes like you're more you're certainly more vulnerable um but things seem to mostly interact with your car
3: right but i mean like when i look at this i i look at this game and i'm like man i i kind of just want to drive i kind of want to be i want to i want things to be chill for a while and like are there moments of downtime where it is just like oh i'm just driving quietly and then you notice that like you know that tree out the window is a little bit too dark and then you get hit with something,
1: when right? You or is it your, just... You put your finger right on the issue I had, like, watching this demo. Now, admittedly, this was a hands-off demo. They were showing me a lot of, like, game mechanics in mm-hmm. short order. Uh, so, obviously, it's, like... I don't think it's, like, quite vertical slice, but it was, like, oh. very compressed. That being said, the rhythm felt too staccato. Was my was my feeling watching mm-hmm. watching the demo was that... You drive for like 10, 15 seconds, maybe 30, and then you hop out and you do a bunch of shit. And then you get back in the car and drive another like 30 seconds and then you do a bunch of shit.
3: Cause like for me, the horror of driving is the long stretches. Right. It is it is the long roads that are the spooky ones. Right. I've I've told the story in the pod before of the time where I was driving a friend was driving me home late at night. And we looked out the window. I looked out the window and it was the darkest shit I've ever seen. And I said, He goes, Hey, you see that? I look over at the woods, darkest thing I've ever seen. I can't look away. And I go, The dark? And he goes, Yup. And then he just fucking hit the gas. That's what I'm looking for in my driving horror game. I'm <laughs> looking for, Do you see that? Yes, hit the gas. And this does not sound like what this is, which is a bummer.
1: Yeah. It, so. Part of me wonders to what degree is it like technical limitation? Because they're talking about like a point of comparison they used is uh, like the Forza Horizon games Mm -hmm. are huge, but they're actually pretty simplistic environments. Like everything is made of tissue paper. Your car goes through everything. There's like a handful of trees that will stop your car. And not just, like, get chopped in half. There's a handful of buildings that will, like, Mm -hmm. stop you. But for the most part, you just go through everything. Uh, And the car just sort of skates along the terrain. There's just not a lot of, like, you know, the world is very big. But it is fundamentally, it has the behavior of, like, a large expanse of tarmac. Mm -hmm. Uh, Here, they want it to be very chunky. Like, when you take that car off-road, it certainly looks like you are, like, you know, the few times like, cause I, I've never like owned a four, a four by four or anything, but even that, it seems like it's pretty, gnarly, pretty gnarly pretty fast. Cars don't do well off roads. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. like you need a real special kind of car to actually go like seriously off roading. And the minute you take a car off, like off a road, suddenly every like ground that looked flat to you if you were walking across it suddenly becomes real fucking dramatic uh, <laughs> yeah. in a car. And this game has that feel of like, threading your way between trees and such not quite like um like a spin tires type thing they're not that systemic but they do want there to be a lot of friction in that way uh but i also wonder to what degree then and and again like the environment's full of stuff that they want you to hop out and like loot and interact with to what degree is that odds Is that at odds with creating large expanses of highway Mm. uh because the- yes the the thing that hit me watching this is it looked cool, but I was kind of waiting for that thing where it's like where's my like ten fifteen mile stretch of just yeah. like whipping down the highway mm-hmm. uh and like threading my way between hazards um but just like going through the void
3: or or like going down the highway and not whipping going like a fifty-five, sixty, and just like the radio is on and you see something out the window like that, that is it to me.
1: And, yeah. just- and they have parts that like, they're, they're like very proud of like, I think they, they, I think they got a licensed soundtrack. They were saying they're very, they're very pleased with like they're, you know, but it, it just seemed like in terms of like, when I say something like, oh, it's station wagon stalker, like there's also a cadence that I would want that to feel like, and this was just more staccato. It was more like go a few feet, jump out, get more shit. And I, I am curious if in the final game, there'll be a bit more of that. Like storms coming. We're losing the light and we got like 10 miles to cover. Yeah. Like, oh yeah please yeah i mean that that'd be that'd be kind of my ideal uh but but i i do wonder if that if that's going to be this game um the the only the the other bit of housekeeping i'd say is like in between these runs um you like go back to your home garage and that's where you like add your big upgrades uh mm. to to the car um so it goes beyond repairs to like kidding it out for like bigger expeditions
2: i was just i was just uh to ask before we left this like i'm not seeing run based but i guess that it run based in the like tarkov sense not the uh like uh roguelite sense
1: right uh they are so this is so they will use like the roguelite thing they Mm -hmm. will they 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 say that Mm. but then they also are real ginger about wiping your progress like right for the most part if things go real bad you will end up back at your garage with most of your stuff but they did mention that um they do want you to lose like this is another part they're balancing i guess mm-hmm. they do want you to lose enough that like it hurts a bit and it sounds like they want it sounds like they, they do have a corpse run uh right. mechanic in this where like if you're if you lose your car on a on a run um so I I might be butchering this, but I think that this was my understanding. Mm -hmm. Um, So you go to a level area timer starts to click. Mm -hmm. You go explore it. You're pushing your luck. Um, Hazards begin to intensify as you spend time there. Storm arrives. Now it's Mm -hmm. real hot. You don't make it out. You go back to your garage the timer doesn't reset. That zone is still real hot, Mm. but your car is stuck there. If you go immediately with whatever piece of shit car that is in your garage, that like is your sort of backup or whatever the game gives you for your default. Mm. And you do the corpse run. Like a certain percentage of a hundred of all your stuff is at the ruins of your old car, but you're going in while the zone is hot. If you give it time to cool down, as time elapses, you will recover less and less from the like husk of your vehicle. Ah. Um, which I love, corpse run mechanics. Like uh-huh. it's like they were the worst thing of M- old MMOs, but they're also like one of the most nostalgic elements. Like it's such a a, <laughs> a cool idea. I loved it in in, in Zombie U. Uh, I love that stuff. I think it like that stuff sounds cool. Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but it also like they're trying to tune around not wanting it to be too punishing. Right. So that you still have enough. You can continue on with your game and continue playing. But they're also trying to hit it where it's like, it's still worth it for you to go and bear those risks and go get your shit.
3: Right. When, when you're doing those corpse runs, right. Where, I mean, you haven't been on hand, hands on, but do, do you get the vibe that like knowing what you're driving into beforehand helps? Or is it like, cause you mentioned like, you know, the, the fact that like little bits of the road, uh, or little bits of off-roading, will be like, that. I didn't realize that was a hole, and I fucking slammed into it, right? When you saw that, did you get the sense that, like, did you get the sense that when you are driving, knowing the environment first will actually help you? Yeah, that it does like, seem... Okay, okay.
1: It, it does seem like you will start to pick up... uh Like, your first time through, it's all new, and Maybe. you don't know what the hazards are, you don't, you, you know, it's not... There are landmarks and signposts uh, that you'll be able to refer to, but you don't know what any of them mean yet. You know, you haven't you haven't put the put the picture together, really.
3: Because like one of my favorite things and like something like State of Decay 2 is going through a town for the first time and getting slammed with a horde. And then the next time being like, all right. I'm going to drive around that town because I know if I go through, I'm going to get hit with something or like. Getting to a little bit of the road where you're like, oh, this fucking bit of the road where I have to go like this old military camp where I have to like weave between these stupid fucking cars to get my shit no. back to the base. I, I hate this stretch of road. i like, that is good. I, oh. I love to hate a stretch of road.
1: Man, <laughs> I am so glad you brought up State of Decay because in terms of cadence, when I was talking about that rhythm, this feels a lot like State of Decay, particularly State of Decay One, where everything feels real. Like cars exist, but it's like you hit the gas, and ten seconds later, you're at the place that you were going to. Um, and it feels a bit like that. I am like that. That's another good uh, analogy that you you made me think of because uh, it has that vibe.
3: And I think that State of Dec- Decay Two made it a lot better by giving you a lot more time between right. places. Right. When I think of state, of Decay 2, I think about the long drives to get from one end of town to the other yeah. where nothing happens. And I'm just sitting in there with the NPC I brought along, hoping that things don't go bad.
1: Yeah. And like, I am so curious what an actual, like, I'm not even sure how real that level was. I saw, right. Cause it's mm-hmm. like, it's a guided demo. The entire loop had to unfold real fast to, to show yeah. me various things. Um, so I do wonder uh, if there's a bit more of that vibe, but overall, like it looked, it, it looked really cool. Uh, it's mm-hmm. one of those things where the concept is neat. The demo. Like also looked neat, but made me realize like, there's a lot about this. I will not be able to feel like I, I, I need to feel it. You know what I mean? I need to actually like, you know, do, did they, do they nail it or not? Uh, cause I'm, cause i am because that part I couldn't gauge uh, watching someone else play. And certainly in this sort of setting, because uh, because so much is going to be about uh, to what degree does it, does it like make this vibe work um, just yeah. in terms of the uh, overall structure of the game. I just pasted in a screenshot of the little map that's on your um, home base wall. So uh, the little um, dashed lines, on this mm-hmm. map are um, those are not roads you drive. I don't think, um, but those uh, actually just, just in those dash lines, the, the, the solid lines with the arrows, uh, those are not paths you drive, but they are like the way the nodes connect and the nodes are the surveyors crosshairs, the surveyors marks uh, mm-hmm. with, with the, with the crosshairs. And each of those is like going to be a map uh, sort of done in a style like this, but it's the difference between if this is a map of the state, uh, You know, that would be a map of the township or whatever that you're driving around. Um, So those those are the areas that you go explore. Um, And when you unlock the magic exit from one to its adjacent nodes, then you can advance into the next one uh, and Hmm. continue exploring. Right. So that's how you sort of build out the world of the game. I have
3: have one final question. I swear to Christ. This is a game set in the Pacific Northwest. Yeah. Does it feel that way? Like, aside from like the ops, I've seen, I've seen the video, right? There are big trees, but like, is it evoking that to you? Or is it like, this is a Pacific Northwest can of paint over a video
4: game level? Hmm. It's a good question. Um, I think it
1: I think it evokes it but but like I could easily see it being the can of paint. This is where I go to the like you need to put your hands on it. You know what I mean? Yeah, it yeah, like yeah. it certainly has elements of the look. Uh and a lot of the screenshots they really punched up like uh obviously it's beyond what I saw in the demo, right? They're really playing up the uh the low hanging fog, the mist, the 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 depths of the blue light uh did not see that quite as much in in the demo but obviously that's work in, work in progress um but you know the 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 thing I would say is like they're also really trying to get at you're in the back country almost mm-hmm. uh so you know in in some ways like it it seems like this game is gonna be largely like small rest stops and then woods and country roads got it got
3: it um I'll will simply have to pray for my Mount Erie game for a little bit longer. I, I I just hey let Phil Elviram score your video game. He seems to be doing okay now. Let him let him do it.
2: <laughs> He's safe. He's safe to put back into the public sphere. You know. Yeah.
3: Yeah. I mean, he released an album that had that was chill. It was good. It, it was well. It was good. It was mostly chill. Most. <laughs> oh no. Listen through the truth. Lost Wisdom Part 2 is a really good album. It's also, <laughs> it, it is still like modern Mount Erie, which is like tough. Mm. But one day, one day I'll get my Mount Erie game that I've been praying on.
1: Uh, let's see here. So this is going to, this has been a long as hell podcast because there's an entire 45 minute interview. Yeah, it's already. <laughs> heard. All right. Let's, you know, let's just dip into the question bucket before we call it a day. Remember, you can send us all your questions at GamingAdvice.com with subject line questions. I'm just going to ask something that Patrick would roll his eyes at if he were here, so I'm Mm. just going to ask it. Perfect. What is your digital data organization strategy? Do you just dump things in a drive until it's filled? Do you have any drives assigned to specific types of data? Has Rob joined the NOS gang? Regards, (laughs) Waz.
2: NOS gang. Gang gang.
1: So it's more like I feel like I should have a digital organization strategy because like mm-hmm. so here, here's the here's the thing that bugs me. Right. And to a degree, this is just the state like the way the entire world has been designed now is like this whole notion of like you'll just search for everything. Who knows where anything is, but like you'll just fill out a search bar in your OS no. or your your, uh, you know, your indexed. your cloud storage or whatever. Indexed. Yeah. And that's just how you will roll. And like that seems to mostly get the job done but also you know like it's the difference between uh like this is kind of the, the essence of physical media right like you go browse a library you encounter a bunch of things if you're beholden to search you encounter roughly the couple like the thing you were looking for and maybe a couple other things adjacent to it when but it like works. There is no sense. Yes. Yes. (laughs) And then like, there's no overall like logic or like, here's how I can like browse and locate things. So like, that's, that's kind of where I'm at. I don't Mm -hmm. really like, I've sort of just by expedience ended up in this world of like, I'll be able to search and like dig it out, but I'm not totally comfortable with that. Ren.
3: So I read a, I read an article about this recently that I have some qualms with, but this has actually become a problem in some uh, college in, in in some universities. Because you have an entire generation of graduate students who was raised without physical infrastructure for, like, data cataloging. And a lot of programs are not... A lot of, like, research-based applications are not built to work with search. You got to tell them where to send that file. You have to tell them where to send that data output for, like, your spectrometer or whatever the fuck. Um, And this has become, like, actually a, a pretty major problem because, like, I will say... When I was like growing up with like computers, right, and and taught how to use computers as a youth, we really didn't do any file organization shit. There was there was no part where they were like, "Hey, here's how to keep your shit together uh, <laughs> and and know how to find things." Because yes, yeah, search is so search is the assumed default. And Rob, you have grown into search as the assumed default, but there is an entire group of people who did not grow into it. And it is like actively causing problems with the way people think about research and data, because what you're saying here is like, yeah, there's this entire, you know, search only shows you things that are vaguely related to what you asked for and not like the process of walking through a space and being like, wait a minute, I bet that would be useful. And it is like actually causing long-term effects in uh, like thought processes and like research practices at universities. All of this was why, I decided to, like, p- get way more intentional about how I organize shit. Uh, my actual physical life is step one, but, like, I, n- I know for a fact how bad this shit can get because, like, I used TikTok for a while and it broke my brain uh, <laughs> and it was not good. And so I've been I've decided to become a lot more intentional about all of this. And so I'm trying to be the I know where all my shit is, girl.
1: I know, but here's the problem with that, Ren. Hmm. There's the upkeep cost of maintaining this shit. Like, this is like, it's, yeah. it's, it's like, there's times I'm like, I'm going to get right with Archive Jesus. But it takes so much time. For First of all, if you've like sort of let things go to seed, oh. just step one of like, where the fuck is everything, right? Like, yeah. for instance, <laughs> I, like every every three to six months patrick or Patrick or I want to find something that's a waypoint streaming resource, just a just something that's useful like a mm-hmm. like a layout or some sort of card or whatever and we realize we have no idea where the fuck it is. It isn't where that stuff is like theoretically supposed to be, but everything else that we've needed like we needed six months ago is there great, but then there was something we know we saw like uh, two months ago that like we like was worked up. Where is it? We don't know. But everything, everything in your life is designed to just have you toss that somewhere, not in the intentional slot that you created. Everything, the frictionless path, and we all, like, go frictionless in the, like, throes of a busy life, busy workday, is just, like, fling it in there, throw it up, and and search Jesus will catch it. Search Jesus. But... Then you come that, So, step one is just like, I need, I need to put this stuff in some sort of organization. Is okay. Step one, think about everything. You have. <laughs> just think about all the shit that you've, you've got like sitting yep. around from six months. That's like basically just a folder full of just like random work product.
3: Kato? Mm. A, a not insignificant amount of interactions between Kato and I is one of us going do you have that overlay? Do you, do do you, you have, have exit? That yeah. And then 30 minutes later, one of us may show up with it, but like it is about at least a 30 minute delay every fucking time. And I'm, I mean, it's for both of us to be clear. This is not me going <laughs> at caught up. This is me going at me too. Like it is, there it's are, dark there, out there here. There are things this... we needed
1: to like bug Joel Fowler about like three years after Joel left, it would be like, Joel, do you know what? <laughs> the fonts we use the waypoint font pack do you know where that is do you still have that because like it's somewhere on the vice drive it exists <laughs> but the last person we know had it would have been joel so like we would just bug joel out of, out of the blue oh, every,
3: everyone on this podcast right now every one of us our title is producer in some way, shape, or form. The job title on the form says the word producer on there. That doesn't mean that we have the producer skill set that people think of. We we simply we do not. I wish we did. What a beautiful world that would be.
2: Well, this this this, this question asker uh seemed to be like wondering about like our personal and like all of this just gets ultimately exacerbated. If you ever have to share anything, right? Like it's worse when you're trying to do specifically this thing of like a lot of people might want to see this file. Uh, cause I know where all my shit is, but remembering that there's like different shared areas that are like, uh, organized differently because there's multiple hands on it. Like that just it, like is its own its own oh, other issue.
1: There's this entire there's in the category of things I can't live without that are not files I own, but I interact with a lot. So they're like important starred folders because they don't like exist and they were useful. Like I can go through into the like shared tab. In Drive or something, but that's a fucking <laughs> mess because it's like, oh, you want you want oh, you probably want that folder uh from that place you got fired from like five years ago, uh, six years ago. And <laughs> Cheers, it's like, to to you, yeah, and it's like uh I don't actually, so I, I I need this one folder, and so you end up having to like star the things that are important, the the like quick reference stuff, and so yeah, yeah. it's just like it all feels pretty chaotic, and. There are times I'm like, man, if I had a couple weeks to just go through and like create beautiful folder hierarchies and like organize all this stuff, that would be beautiful. But it would follow the same trajectory as every time I've done that with my, my fucking kitchen, mm-hmm. which is maintaining the garden is almost as much work as creating it.
3: <laughs> and you know what? You know, maybe, maybe this is, maybe this is also an age thing. Uh, because of again, computer like education and 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 also because I've had to I've had to have a lot of different emails. I've had to have a lot of different Google accounts over the years, really, yeah, mm-hmm. I had my personal one. Mm-hmm. I had my personal one with my dead name. I had uh, my high school email account. I had my college email account. I had the email burner. account I had the email account that I used for uh things that said you had to be over 18 when i was under 18 i had my uh second one of those accounts when i couldn't get into the first one because i forgot the password so this is what i was gonna ask and there are documents in google drive spread across all those fucking accounts so every once in a while i'll be like where did i put that poem from four years ago and it could be in one of five different Google Drives, and I have no fucking clue which, so then I have to go in each one and be like, well, I only remember one line from that poem, so let me search this one line, what what I believe to be the one line that I can pull verbatim from it, type that in here, oh, no results. Maybe it's in this other drive. No, it wasn't in the other drive. It was in your fucking Scrivener. You idiot. Oh, it was yeah. in your Scrivener <laughs> from two years ago on your laptop. You thought it was in Drive, dumbass. It was in Scrivener.
1: You Fuck thought Scrivener you. was going to be with you for life back then.
3: And, I, and you know what? It could have been. That's, that's the shit. That's the shit is that it could have been. It could have been, and I fucked it. I fucked it. And I know that, and I have to live with no, it.
1: No, <laughs> hang on, Red, I tried to go back to Scrivener. That relationship ended for a reason. Oh shit.
3: What about? And every time, Notion, Scrivener, every time I think this will be the one. This'll be this'll be the one. This'll be the tool with which I can with which I can do it. And that's the key. That is the key. It's not the tools it's having the skill set to do it and yep. that's the fuck of it all yep cuz like it takes so much longer and so much more intentionality to develop that skill set and those habits that turn it into maintaining the garden is easy for some people because they have taught themselves over Poor. the course of years to maintain that garden well and here are us bumblefucks who never learned how to do it trying to do it from scratch and it's a nightmare
2: i think it's uh very fu- i'm super curious what patrick would have to say about this topic <laughs> so
1: my suspicion my strong suspicion yeah that patrick has no fucking system no patrick doesn't care patrick patrick would like give us all the stink eye and like, what the fuck are you doing <laughs> if you don't you search you don't need any of this right. like the stuff that you need you'll be able to find the rest of it what does it matter That you don't know where it is. You haven't thought to look for it in multiple years. So who cares? And like there is something to that. Like to to some extent, what I crave about like the organization stuff is the feeling of having stuff organized. Mm -hmm. Um, That like that will be a bulwark against my own chaotic tendencies. If you don't have chaotic tendencies – it's probably easier to just be like, fuck it. <laughs> I know what I need and I'll I'll find it when I do. Yeah. It's just. Yeah, it's so I. Yeah, so I guess we are all. We're all nowhere with this. We all like we all feel keenly the lack of an organization strategy, but we have neither the time nor the wherewithal to really settle on one. And I will say like for a minute there and I'm still probably headed toward like. You know, a NAS, like that'll really, but one, just that will, yes, that will kick off the process of like time to archive a lot of data and pull stuff onto a NAS and like, yes, that will I, be uh, t- tend that. And then back it up with a uh, different sort of cloud storage. There's not Google drive, et cetera. I get it all, whatever. But you know what? When I listen to like uh, Brad and Will made, made a tech pod and I hear them talking like every, every third episode is them talking about NAS shit. And I'm like, what fucking problem has this solved? Because every third episode is like, well, you know, two of my NAS drives failed. And uh, so I'm doing a, I'm uh, having to restore data from one to the other. My backup's in place. And uh just, uh, I got to redo this whole system. All of it is like the, or, like the amount of maintenance of physical infrastructure and like data structure that goes into like having this sort of thing also seems like, man, this is a, time and energy intensive solution to a thing that may only feel like a big problem.
2: I have, um, I have what I like to call the poor man's nos, which is five different drives that all have folders named the same thing, but only sometimes things go into each one. So like, uh, well, I I started a video folder very specifically Uh on my G drive and I filled it with videos, and then the G drive got a little too heavy with videos, so I had to point Shadow Play right. at a videos folder on the F it's drive correct. instead. Mm-hmm. I have a programs file folder on four of those drives because Steam was taking up too much on the D drive, so I needed to put a second right. Steam library on the E drive. Um, every. It's everywhere, but it's, okay. in, it's in folders at least. It's not just thrown in there. I tried. Every,
3: <laughs> everyone on this podcast, I, I think it's time that we had a moment where, 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 we, where we were honest with each other about something. Where do your recording files go?
1: Oh, in a... No. That's, this is the one thing Hold I do on. not fuck I with. I got it. I got it. <laughs> yeah, go for it. Cut No, well,
2: mine is a very specific. It's in... I have a specific drive for all of our shit. It is the pod vault it is one hard drive it has on it all of our podcast stuff in folders organized by what show whether it's the plus feed or the regular feed what year and then what day great
1: so I had Rob? the drive i had the drive wrong I was going to say it was the d drive it's the e drive mm. but it's on it's e colon slash reaper slash renders <laughs> Now there's one teensy little problem.
4: Uh huh.
1: So there's the work in progress files. Yes. And I can uh-huh. retarget those. I can I could put them anywhere. Right. But I never think to. It's just once a year. huh <laughs> I'm like, why the fuck do I not have any hard drive space? Why is this so big? <laughs> and I begin the process of trying to figure out what could be causing it. And every year I rediscover the Reaper work in progress files. Aren't those just WAVE files? They're sequentially numbered, uh, like slices of WAV file. Uh oh. that are
2: Slices.
1: Yeah, the so Reaper uh Reaper is constantly generating, like, brief wave files as you record. Oh, so that's why you have to um,
2: export, because then at the end, it's not one single file already.
1: Right, but uh-huh. I've never lost anything on, like, I've right, never right. lost anything with Reaper, and the one time I had to do a restore, it stitched together very, very easily. So, like, I respect the system. Yeah, yeah, totally. But that folder is a nightmare, and it is enormous. Yeah, right. You're making a ton of wave files.
3: <laughs> All right, All here right. Here's where I come to you with my with my hands open. Uh-huh. That shit goes in the documents folder. Wait, no, I uh, <laughs> What?
1: Kato, I have beautiful news. Yeah. That sh- that if, I scr- if I go up one one level uh-huh. back to the Reaper home home folder. Yeah. There's a folder called RAW. <laughs> and RAW. What's in there? Is, that is where. <laughs> that's where the work in progress files are okay
3: yeah yes
2: that makes sense (laughs) my
3: my recordings go into the (laughs) in the documents folder
1: okay (laughs) so that's bad that's bad like first of all like the documents folder is so horribly used yeah i I want to give everyone some context on
2: kata's gonna
3: reveal something that i a darkness in my own heart
2: it's just very funny every single time i put a link into our chat and say what episode the link goes to uh and the folder that on g drive that i have made has the name the number of the episode on it and yet every single time ren's file is named waypoint radio whatever the fuck this episode number is (laughs) Ren. <laughs> well, I
3: can. All right. Let's see. Uh, in my in my current drive, in my current documents folder, my turn. Nostalgia. Ren. Ren. Who is to say what episode of WPR? Yes. Ren. Waypoint Radio 3- Five Thirty Two. Ren. Waypoint Radio Five. 530- also, there's two versions of each file. One of them is a WAV file. The other is an Adobe Audition project. Um, <laughs> we go but through some starting, numbers on, you're
2: starting audition files in your documents <laughs>
4: <laughs> then we,
3: when was the last time i cleared this folder out let's see i can see the day Okay, it was 110. <laughs> 110 was the last time I did oh a God. dump of all of my old recordings so in the documents folder. What is
2: folder. the backups folder? There there, there's, there's a, there must be a folder in there that's called backups, right? In your documents folder? Because of the way that Adobe creates its folder file structure, there should be a session recorded Adobe in a backup folder, right? Uh, Adobe
3: Audition 1.4.0, untitled set. No.
2: No, there's no like session folder recorded and backups.
3: But where where no. are those where are those files going? I don't think those go anywhere.
2: They go. They have to go somewhere.
3: I don't save things before I export them.
2: No, 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 no. This is this is just how Adobe works. It 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 makes a file as you're recording. So somewhere in a different place. <laughs> There is a folder called Session Underscore Folder Social Underscore Recorded that has a bunch of waves for each of your sessions no, in Adobe Audition. Yes, I'm
3: looking. I'm no, I can. I'm looking. I'm looking <laughs> in the Adobe section of my Documents folder right now, and I only see Untitled Session One and Untitled Session Two. So I don't. Kato, if this is true, There's- if this is true, I find- have no it. fucking clue where, where those shits where are it's going. going. I, <laughs> I, I, I know how to find that information. I'll hit settings and I will look at the file paths, but I just want to <laughs> say right now, yeah. I if this is true, Kato, absolutely head fucking empty as to where that shit goes. On- only Christ knows where those files are.
1: <sighs> Whew. Also, like all my good intentions, and mm-hmm. I mean all of them, uh-huh. are going to run aground <laughs> on the shoals of users' username app data. Oh my! Roaming. fucking God,
3: where did I? Hey, Rob, where did I put that mod? Where did I install that mod? What? Hey, what parts the game? And what part is the Steam directory yep, yep. pointing <laughs> at the game?
1: Red, red. I like. I can never touch BattleTech again. Nope. Because like <laughs> I installed that that colossal fucking mod. That's uh-huh. Christ's BattleTech. And immediately now. It was like, well, don't know where that is. Oh my god.
3: That 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 BattleTech belongs to God now.
1: It will live on this drive forever. Uh, by the way, we're never playing vanilla again. Uh, it's just this is just what BattleTech is now. Uh, this is like BattleTech two. So yeah. Uh, anyway, that's where that's where we've all like what? what why are there ten gigs of start? Like that's not even that much. But why? What's happening in this roaming folder? God. Okay. Wait. Where? Where? Where would
3: this be?
2: Whenever I make backups? a new audition session file,
3: oh um, no no no, I don't make sessions, Connor. Well,
2: you got the little project file. When you make a new project file, it's just like generates well, do, folders. I,
3: no, no no, I click new audio file, not multi track session.
2: Okay, that I might be that might file. be why. I think then.
3: that's why, <laughs> that is why it is happening. I believe. Okay, we figured it out. But, it's but that you, I use you audio. Files you still have I, the project open, files
2: in there, right? Which is a separate thing.
3: No, I had the project file and the wave and the wave. Okay. Yes. I have, maybe two, you just dump them, them both.
2: Each. God, for a yeah. second there, I was like, there's, there's this whole world. No, somewhere
3: there's else. not a, there's not a secret realm. No, no I'm looking at multi-track <laughs> session right now. And I, and I was like, I found where the directory was, Kato. I found it. I okay. found the directory. Good. Great. Um, and I was like, why is there only two things in here? And that's because I remember that is when I was working on a long-term project and had to use sessions mm-hmm, of multiple mm-hmm. files instead of just a single audio file. Yeah. Um, and so I'm safe. Everything's okay. I promise. Right.
1: Dead. <laughs> well, we're all works in progress here. And. Uh, Lifelong learners. Yeah, someday. Someday we're going to f- figure this out. Maybe. We're li-
3: Yeah. Uh, I, I don't, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I try, I try. Like there, there. If I was, if I had infinite money, the speed with which I would give someone three hundred dollars, five hundred dollars to just set up and fix my whole shit is <laughs> make it work. A, is a, just like, all right. Here you go. I have I have I got we got a scorched earth policy, my whole business, and I need you to reconstruct it. I need you to unplug and plug back plug back in yeah. my alive for me. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and by the way, like it's um you know, this is part like I'm toying around like, hey, maybe it's time to get a new PC. But you know the other best thing about a new PC? Empty. Yep. You haven't fucked it up yet. You haven't fucked it up yet. This is the one.
4: This is the one. This this is 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 the time.
3: But
1: also, (laughs) this is the real draw of the NOS. It's like this NOS will outlive any one PC. Right. And like this will get it like now the vault will be truly assembled and Mm -hmm. perfect. Mm-hmm. Um and like and the new PC is a similar sort of vibe where it's like this time I'm gonna I'm gonna organize it and do before this PC build, before before I built this uh like we did this PC build, uh while I was waiting for New to ship me the shit, I was just sitting with a notebook coming up with file structures and like this seems really logical. It'll make sense. <laughs> and that lasted for about a minute until I was like Oh, I have filled the games folder. Mm. Hmm. That recordings drive could be a games and recordings drive. (laughs) Yep.
2: Yeah. Yeah, this is a real uh, issue.
1: We don't have infinite space
2: that is extensible. That's why the NAS is good, right? You can technically add more drives to a NAS and make it bigger when you run out of space, but it still acts like one drive.
3: this This is Renata's trick. This is this is the one thing that keeps me safe mm. I think I am more willing than anyone else here to delete and uninstall things
2: mm. right because uh, I will That's such I a will pain, though I just wanted to install the thing I'm
0: looking at and I be like, will, go I will no
1: see this is the, I do that all the time it doesn't but it doesn't matter <laughs> you the can,
0: the can never uninstall
4: enough rod.
1: You can't well, outrun the rot well and also you can't outrun the just increasing size of like storage needs right like yeah true. like you know it's like wow when did game installs get so big well that's just the world we live in now it's like yep. uh you know the 100 gigabyte install is like you know that's that's practically stingy at this point like wow way <laughs> to go that that game installed at at, at under 100 gigabytes and then you go from there to, like, I want to really archive, like, m- media that is important to me. I want to get, like, good rips of, like, my favorite DVDs, and movies, and such. Well, <laughs> bitrate equals data. And so the minute you're like, I want to perfectly reproduce uh, that, like, that great Blu-ray transfer uh, is like, bam, just huge amounts of space uh, getting eaten up. So, like, your, your needs just escalate. Um, so basically, was... We haven't figured it out, but we all think we will. We're gonna solve <laughs> this problem someday. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're we're all looking forward to it when yeah. we figure yeah. out our lives, figure out our needs.
2: I think Rob, but at the moment, breaks first yeah. on making a, a nos out of everyone here. Can I've considered start? it, but I think Rob, you're closer to the precipice. Oh, I'll never do it. Can I?
3: Can I? Can I say something illustrative mm-hmm. of my problem right now? I want you I want y'all to guess. <laughs> I want y'all to guess what my current file is named.
2: Uh Ren part two We PR, WPR that one <laughs> WPR
3: four two one part two <laughs> good Yeah. I I have so little idea of what episode it was that I was convinced. (laughs) I was convinced in my heart. My heart.
2: Yeah. Or my, or We're in the 400s, moves, not the 500s. The
3: 421 <laughs> part two. I made. I made a part one today. Yeah. That is
2: correctly it's, I'm looking at as it. It's 22. in the folder. Thank you for uploading that and to it, the folder.
3: And in the, and in, the and in the intervening hour between part one and part two of our recording, delete 100 episodes, <laughs>
1: 120 episodes of Waypoint Dream Brain. I'm, I'm yeah. All right, oh, well uh fuck. yeah, we, we did it, gang. Uh that is a wrap on today's episode of Waypoint Radio. If you want more from Waypoint, you can follow us on Twitter at Waypoint, Facebook, and YouTube, Waypoint Vice. You can follow me on Twitter at Rob Zachney, Kato, where can people follow you? Editing this probably three hour podcast. <laughs> Might be at more
2: Kato underscore appears.
3: Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Ren or Raven, or follow me on the social media equivalent of Anas at
2: Mastodon. I don't, I don't have a <laughs> it. I just wanted to dunk on it. I just wanted to no, dunk on it. Mastodon's s- worse than the bad, because the things don't click like the way Anas does. Anas <sighs> is kind of like an anti-Federation, honestly, you know? It's like, all become one, instead of everything gets break- broken apart into a million <laughs> little <laughs> islands. <laughs> I, it's I the Phyrexian don't. model, for those of you who play Magic the... Okay.
3: <laughs> Sorry. Caught uh, your heart's so big. Thank
1: you. <laughs> well, you can check out uh, what we published on waypoint.vice.com. You can read Patrick's piece, uh, The World's Biggest Troll Collab, is ready for Nintendo to ban their Mario Maker levels, uh, covering the fact that a group of troll Mario Maker uh, level creators have created their uh, their their masterpiece... And they they've released it knowing that in no time at all, Nintendo will be aware of what they have done and delete the entire uh collection from <laughs> Mario Maker. Uh and so it's a piece digging into the meaning of that work and also uh Nintendo's notoriously opaque uh curation standards for Mario Maker. And hey, thanks to Waypoint Plus, we've been able to have a bunch of fun streams lately. We've had a we got a bunch of thriving dwarf fortresses and uh, Patrick and I just did the asteroid defense sequence in dead space uh, in the two games, which is wildly different between the two versions uh, coming up soon. Patrick is going to be playing some Metroid prime for daddy's day off. And uh, this week we might get some more dead space. We might get some wild hearts out the door. We'll have to have to figure it out for our waypoint plus listeners. We have a man hunting coming soon on public enemies and, uh, so a week or two ago, I was I was pretty dismissive dismissive of that movie. Mm. And now I'm extremely not. And huh. th- like I, I have huh. rarely 180 so hard on a a movie. Like I did not like this movie. Uh, you know, when I when I saw it in theaters, I thought it was a real mess. And then the last time I saw it, I was just like, this is maybe one of the best, uh, and certainly it's one of the most politically charged cops and robbers movies uh I've ever seen. Uh, and might be a, a work of genius filmmaking. So uh, we'll <laughs> see We'll see what Alex makes of it. Maybe I'll just get uh, shot to pieces like uh, Dia did with Miami Vice last time, but we'll see how it goes. <laughs> if that sounds good or you just want more Waypoint, you go to waypointplus.com and subscribe. Not only do you get access to our premium feed, but you're also helping support Waypoint and everything else we do here. And if you want to show not just support, but zeal, go to waypointgeneralstore.com and buy some of our fine Waypoint merch. Our theme music is by Bowen. The track is Miss You off the EP Pale Machine. Learn more at waypoint.zone. For now, we are calling time on this Tuesday. We will talk to you again on Friday. Until then, fuck capitalism, go home, and tend to your archives.
0: The number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com.